Welcome to Unbooking the Territories. We continue our journey through the highest and lowest TV rated episodes of the Monday Night Wars for each creative period. This week sees Jim Cornette and Vince Russo's highest rated episode. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Vince Russo and I am the Antichrist of professional wrestling. This is typical wrestling. Wrestling is it wrestling? What, what do you say down there in Kentucky or Tennessee, wherever you come from? Typical wrestling, say. Jim don't Cornette. Move to New this York is 1996, Jim Cornette. You hear me? People don't want to he hear this anymore. Here. I kept a low profile for two years, but I figured before this business gets deeper in the shitter, Vince Russo better come back. You can boo all you want. That doesn't change the fact that I'm better than you. This is horrible. This is not something to be laughed at. And I'm going to tell you one thing. I will call my mother. So how are you this week, Dan? Not too bad, mate. Not too bad compared to last week. I've had no takeaway issues. I haven't had to delay the recording for an emergency shit. So I'm, uh, I'm feeling good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's a bit unusual not to have an angry Dan at the other end. Uh, I, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm just confused. Uh, oh, don't worry. I'm saving it for later. Maybe we should get into the big announcement, because on a lot of these episodes that we've reviewed, the Forbidden Door's been well and truly open with the, the USWA and ECW and All Japan and everyone that's working with WWF. But in terms of the Monday morning wars, the Forbidden Door's open, because we've got... Andy from Bang Bang Podcast, who's been uh, let out off his leash. Uh, Steve's looked the other way and he's managed to escape. How are you? <laughs> Hello, chaps. Yeah, it's nice to be on the on the other channel kind of thing, you know? Yeah. The Eric Bischoff to uh, to Rob's Vince McMahon or whoever's in charge. The people <laughs> who put the actual work in actually meeting for once. I did look this week. I always kind of thought it was like sort of WWF, WCW. But then when you guys put the charts up this week, I was like, Oh, we're not, we're not WWF or WCW. We're probably NXT, which is the worst thing. Probably, yeah. well, well, Rob put that up, and I was like, "Oh, sweet, we've made top thirty, brilliant!" And then you guys were on Bang Bang. We're on about a UTT podcast getting into like top twenty or something. I was like, "When did that happen?" Rob never told me. Yeah, I think that was on the day that we actually launched. So I think they'd probably pro rated that day. Whatever. <laughs> Fuck it, it counts. Yeah. But it's still in the books, so we come on, yeah. Well, we didn't really take that much, you know, interest in the ratings, especially when they're not very good. It's best to just kind of ignore them isn't it? and uh, <laughs> move on. We only mention them when we're doing well. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. We, I keep saying on on Twitter, it's, I don't give a shit what how many numbers we do, whatever. It's just about talking wrestling with some with some good people. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, we played up the whole Monday morning war thing, but it was it was quite good for you know. Well, we were winning. It was great. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. It'll, it'll happen again soon. One day, mate. You know, shoot, shoot for the moon. You'll, you'll get there. And That's right. I'm just happy. I'm just happy. I got a nickname out of Steve. Yeah. Oh, I'm, going, yeah. I'm going by Spanky now on this podcast. You spank one gimp in a Bradford nightclub uh, once, and you get a nickname. Yeah. Well, I mean, by the, by the time this goes out, you'll probably have several other nicknames because you guys are. I don't. You're several weeks ahead of us, so. Whatever yeah. I say tonight, I've got time to kind of wreck on that over the next four or five weeks of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little bit worried that you just take the order and release this episode before us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea, actually. Here's, yeah. what, here's what's coming up on UTT. That'll put books yeah. in seats. Yeah. yeah, I can just start leaking little bits out over the course of the next few weeks. Uh, yeah. 
I've put spoilers on the uh, on Twitter. Yeah. Well, it's like it's like someone when someone has a book and they're selling the story through the Daily Mail or something, and it's tomorrow. I'll read part ten. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see how this goes. We'll see how it goes. If we're still friends by the end of it. Of course. Of course. So normally when people go on podcasts, they ask the same sort of questions. When do you start watching wrestling? Why do you watch wrestling? All those kind of things. But we're not normal. We ask different questions so we can make little radars. And sometimes if we're very lucky, Matty at um, Guru of Mattitude will make us trading cards with those ratings. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe Matt did that. He's, he's one of my oldest mates. And he, he must have got really fucking bored because he made those, uh, made those trading cards, those top Trump's trading cards for us. It was great. Great to see. I didn't even have to pay him. I'll have to bend his arm and see if he'll make one for you, Andy. So, okay. Wrestling priorities. I'd start with storyline is my number five, the most important. I think, especially these days, there doesn't seem to be many actual storylines as such. And it is noticeable, I think, these days in a time where you probably got kind of pound for pound the best probably wrestlers or athletes in in history really spread across so many different kind of organizations that there tends to be especially while i mean i would say oh, actually over, overall there seems to be a dearth of kind of decent sort of storyline and certain examples in you know we go for we're, well we're recording this just before wrestlemania this year kind of going into WrestleMania, how many kind of long-term storylines are being played out in the kind of what's supposed to be like the biggest showcase event of the year. I mean, I say long-term storylines, I don't mean a month or sort of six weeks kind of stuff. And I think there just isn't that kind of focus on that kind of thing anymore. And I always find, again, you can have the best wrestlers in the world, but if you haven't got like a coherent kind of interesting storyline, it kind of takes the edge off that and you, you know, so I'd have that storyline is my highest. Number four, I'd have uh, promos as well on a similar kind of line to storylines, really, whereas you need... I've been watching a lot of old uh, uh, World Championship wrestling from sort of 86, 87, or studio wrestling, NWA, where they'd have, again, they'd have a match and then a promo, then a match and a promo, and a match and a promo. And a lot of the times, the promos are the, well, most of the time, the promos are the best thing on the on the show, to be honest. But you also got that intercut with you know, people like Ric Flair or Anderson, Tully Blanchard actually wrestling. But like, if you if you go back and you sort of flick through Twitter, you'll see as many clips of those guys talking as you will wrestling. I mean, would you see more? You see more of Ric Flair's actual wrestling ability, or do you see more of him cutting these, you know, in sort of legendary promos, that kind of thing. So, so yeah, you know, that that is my number four. Presentation would be my third. Again, these are all kind of things which kind of enhance the enhance that. So your sort of core product is your good wrestlers, good wrestling. There are things like storyline, like promo, like presentation, all add to that kind of uh, kind of part. Two, I'd have in ring because again, uh, you you can have the best wrestlers in the world but without those other elements it isn't it doesn't have the same effect you know we can all watch i don't really watch much of nxt uk but what i've seen of nxt uk it seems to be reasonable in ring but kind of apart from that there's not really much it's all fairly kind of bland kind of and with presentation again it, that was one thing i was impressed with when aew started was the 
kind of production values of the program uh, alongside sort of WWE that was I think that was one of the things that you can if you've got the money you can match the production values of WWE which was always the thing when you had like sort of, when TNA was sort of coming through as a as trying to be a kind of viable challenger to WWE the, the production values I don't think weren't there and it always kind of looked slightly different slightly less quality to WWE whereas AEW's production values the promos are sort of you know the road to videos that kind of thing they're all really high quality i mean in most cases probably better than wwe to be honest and the last one which we we talk about a lot on our show steve talks about a lot the lack of fans being there and how fans kind of make a difference i've got fan reaction down is my least important thing obviously but uh again i think it, it's probably more, more noticeable now i think if you asked me this, you know, maybe a year ago, I think it would definitely be fan reaction. But obviously, with the fans not being there, you do notice a difference. And they, again, it'll be interesting to see when fans do come back. You don't know who's over. You don't know who's, you know, whereas in the past, the crowd would make and break characters a lot of the time. Especially, I mean, on the show we're going to talk about tonight, fan reaction probably took the show from like a... From like I'm doing visual signs now on a podcast, which is good, but from a sort of mid-range show to quite you know a higher upper echelon show, I'd say. But it's not a kind of make or break. You can have people reacting, go mental to a load of old rubbish, can't you? It's out of the five that would be my lowest kind of priority fan reaction. Yeah, and we've sort of said before that none of these are unimportant to us. Um, mm. We only swapped the in-ring and fan response round with what I had, so okay. we were very close. I thought we were going to match it exactly there for a second. But yeah. like, like you were saying with the fans, people chanting, this is awesome, just seems endemic at the moment. They, hmm. They'll do it for anything. You know, There's matches on AEW Dark that people are chanting, this is awesome. <laughs> for. With the greatest one in the world, no, it's not. You know? No. I mean, before the pandemic, the fans were almost the hindrance at times, I felt. Again, your people chucking beach balls around in the crowd, chatting for JBL, chatting for Jerry Lawler, chatting for CM Punk, when there's, you know, a reasonable match in the ring. So they're not always, I mean, they're a big part, but they can be assholes as well, you know, and they can take away from the, the product sometimes. But yeah, but they are missed, obviously. I was with, I'm with you on fan reaction. It was my least important thing, but I was much more selfish in my approach. I think my words to Rob on, on our first episode was, um, yeah, you know, it's good to see fans reacting and it does enhance the TV, but I, I ultimately only give a shit about what I like. So yeah. <laughs> other people other yeah. people reacting doesn't sort, doesn't really sort of factor into my enjoyment. No, I think it hurts certain products more than others. I, don't, I haven't really watched NXT for a good six to eight months. I mean, you go back and watch, oh, especially the fleet more said so the takeovers, the crowds for those were, I mean, the, the shows were really high quality, but the crowds kind of took it that extra level up. But again, a lot of the performers on those shows, you could tell by direction of the crowd, it would push the performers on to do more, to egg them on to do more, and they kind of fed off each other. But then you do get, even next, you would get the other end of the spectrum where if you had the shows that was at full cell where the crowd would be just smarky idiots a lot of the time so yeah this is a balance but 
it's not yeah, yeah. Out, of the, out of the five that would be my least priority as well it's uh, it's Vince McMahon's wet dream at the minute with the, with no fans because he can pipe in whatever chance he wants and just yeah. completely manipulate it which uh, like you say it'll be uh, with Mania coming up and having actual fans in attendance will they just be grateful for what they're seeing or yeah. will they uh, will they tell us what they actually think yeah and it'll be strange after WrestleMania I'm assuming it's going to go straight back to the piped in stuff again for the next few months so but yeah Although it wasn't just when they didn't have any fans, we've reviewed quite a few shows where they've been piping in chants. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think they've always done that they? on the tape shows. I remember on SmackDown, you used to have like an, a, a recognisable audio audio sort of cheer or sort of sound, which they quite blatantly sort of piped in. But yeah, so I mean, that again, back in those old, some of those old shows, again, the people were walking out and leaving halfway through the sort of six, seven hour tapings and you need to pipe in some chance, don't you? Because there's nobody left, hardly. NXT UK, Rob. <laughs> Back on it. Well, I was going to say, I got shushed at NXT UK, didn't I, Dan? You did. You did. <laughs> we were, we were the... Sorry, Rob, you tell it. The bloke in front thought that you should watch wrestling in complete silence and just appreciate for the aesthetic. Okay. Which you do at NXT UK if we're not there. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was when uh, when Andy Ogden just yelled I think it was about three matches from the end of a 14-15 match taping when he said when he just yelled up from up on the balcony where we were so I just come on, come on, there's people killing themselves in there. I know it's late, but let's have a bit of energy for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> it's then, strange, isn't it? It's like in football, some people all get if you, if you get you know I remember uh, one of Bristol City's very few promotions. We had a game last home game of the season. I think we had to, it wasn't even last home game. We had to get, to get a draw against Coventry to secure a promotion. And we did. It was a really boring nil-nil. But there were sort of people standing up in sort of chat. And as it got closer to the end, because we knew we were going to get promotion. And there's people telling people to kind of sit down, like, you know, keep the noise down. It's like, we're literally on the verge of getting promotion. And there's people there going, I can't see. It's like, it's fucking the matter. You can't see. Like, we're about to get promotion. But, yeah, that's just the mindset of some people. I mean, at wrestling as well, it's kind of, maybe they're having a nap, kind of dozing off. I did actually see someone fall asleep at a PCW show once. They were on the front row and they had a book. And then half halfway through, they fell asleep, and the, the crowd were chanting, "We can see you nodding off." And she didn't wake up. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's not mention a certain world of sports show, though, Robbie. You don't want to risk uh, <laughs> don't want to risk you getting a slap off the missus. Yeah, they fell asleep at World of Sport in all fairness. But <laughs> yeah. I, I, to be fair, I think she was drunk rather than tired. Hmm. I've fallen asleep at football before, but that was due to booze. And boredom as well, most of the time. But yeah, but mostly booze. Um, but yeah, yeah. Talking about booze, uh, what's everyone drinking? Well, I'm on a... I thought I'd uh, turn away from... Well, actually, I've drank this on the podcast a few times. Uh, Henry Weston's 8.2% vintage cider. Uh, I was going to get... I was, I was in a garden centre today looking for some you know, obscure sounding ale to match up with you guys. But um, I couldn't find any. And then I decided to get some weird sounding cider after 10 minutes. And then there was a massive queue. So I just put it back and walked out. But yeah, so I've gone for just the strongest cider I could find at short notice. Don't mind the Henry Westons. It's a fine drop. Yeah, it's quite nice. Yeah, it's still as well. So it's quite easy to drink. 
So there was a good chance you'd have been here with K-Sider if you were looking for the strongest you could find at Sean Norris. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've got certain standards. Um, really? I, I, well, I mean, I don't drink cider out of a, a two-litre plastic bottle. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you've not lived until you've, sat, until you've sat on a bench for no good reason, drinking a two-litre bottle of Crumpton Oaks that you got for £2.34. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, not now. I mean, a respectable gentleman these days, but I suppose, you know, a few years ago, probably, yeah. But I can afford it's more expensive stuff now, so. There you go. What are you drinking, Dan? Uh, well, in honour of Bang Bang Podcast, I've decided to uh, to go for a 10% Imperial Chocolate Stout from Salt called Imperial Egg Hunt, and partially because it's just got a really fun-looking can. I just like all the colours. But, yeah, it's not half bad. It's a solid. going to be a solid uh, 3.5 and untapped. Really chocolatey, nice boozy, boozy kick to it, and uh, I could well be uh, be talking some shite because after that I've got a tiny rebel double ninety nine, which is a chocolate flake soft serve imperial stout at nine point nine percent. And just in case I get through those two, I've gone with a wrestling theme beer provided by your good self, Rob. Top rope, cold stone, cold stone cream Austin chocolate orange pale ale. Very good. Very good. You on, we, mate? I was going to say we actually went to the. Salt Brewery Tap at the Tram Shed in Salt Air, didn't we? We and did. It was a bloody good day. I pointed out that UNESCO World Heritage Site to me, and you had a Steve moment. You were like, if I see another fucking UNESCO World Heritage Site, I'm going to slap someone. <laughs> oh, well, fuck me, right? It's, it, part of my day job is I write itineraries for escorted holidays. So I have to research all this shit. And, you know, our clientele is of an age, and they, a lot of them enjoy these UNESCO World Heritage Sites. But when you've been sat there for three months researching 300 tours worth of shit and you've seen the word words unesco world heritage site at least 17 times in every single fucking thing i just get uh it winds me up i haven't even done that job for over a year and it still winds me up yeah a friend of mine lives in Solter, and that was the first thing he told me when he moved there that it was a unesco world heritage site. <laughs> he's proud of it i've been to yeah i've been to the the mill and um I went to uh, Don't Tell Titus. Is that a bar or like a cafe thingy in the yeah. Solterra yeah. as well? I've seen the videos about the the, the lineage of the salt uh, salts uh, mill and uh, his son and all these kind of. Oh I've, uh, yeah, it was a boring day. But um, I <laughs> <laughs> and my actually my friend who lives in, in Solterra, he got quite upset with uh, the salt brewery. They kind of rebranded a few years ago, didn't they? They had like a kind of relaunch and changed their artwork and their logos and stuff. My pal was very upset with that. Very upset. He took great umbrage with the rebranding of. Uh, <laughs> so, you imagine that? I imagine a lot of people haven't got the slightest clue what we're talking about at this point. Well, I, I don't fuck, know. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> they got taken up by uh, Osset Brewery, who were sort of gobbling up a load of the uh, local breweries. Mm. So I recommended one from Rat Brewery in Huddersfield uh, a few episodes ago. They're under the Osset umbrella now, so them and Sol and a few others. So taking yeah. over the world one, one brewery at a time. As this show is from Halifax, Nova Scotia, I went through my beer cupboard to find beer from Halifax. So I've got a vocation from Halifax, West Yorkshire, not from Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is Monomania 431. It's a 5.7% pale ale. And then, in honour of Steve from Magnifying Brewery, I've got Language Barrier, which is an Imperial Coconut Sour at 12.5%. I just thought you got Language Barrier because usually by the end of Bang Bang, and he can he can hardly talk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's double meaning. 
These are heavy duty stouts, aren't they? He wants a few drinks. It's normally double figures, double digits. You know, like there's some some heavy duty stuff. I normally on my six percent, you know, Polish lager, and but um, ain't nothing wrong with a tisky. No, no, no. Well, I did her on another podcast this week that they're funded by some sort of right wing <laughs> group in in oh, Poland, no. or like yeah. That's that fuck then. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But you look at the can, I mean, the can does look fairly kind of, the, the logo on there. I was looking at something the other day in my fridge, and I was like, yeah, I could kind of see, like, the, the logo does look a bit kind of 1940s Germany, kind of. Um, but, you know, it's cheap, isn't it? So, so and we sit, we sit here talking about all these beers. I'm, I'm sat here acting like I don't have uh, a couple of Heinekens in the fridge left over because I just fancied some wanky lager to watch NXT with last night. Oh, I've got four Heinekens in the fridge now. <laughs> I'm saving them for tomorrow. <laughs> Cans or bottles? Cans. Yes. <laughs> they weren't they from were a co-op, were they? No, they were from uh, well, my local spa. So, Damn, yeah. so close. <laughs> <laughs> so we're normally recommending these uh, highfalutin bottle shops uh, where you can go and buy your beer, but uh, spa appears to be the official recommendation. Yeah, yeah. not this week, uh, yeah. Spa, McCall's, anything like that, yeah. Yeah. As always, trembling madness in York delivered nationwide. If you want crap, if you want really good crap beer, <laughs> and I we will get we sponsorship. We always plug uh, bottles and bottles and books in Bristol. They're quite good, apparently. I've never been there, but uh, yeah. <laughs> we, we recommend bottles and books in Bristol. I've never been there, but I'm recommending it. <laughs> they never. We mention them most weeks. Nothing. Not sausage. No, but they sell beer and books. So why would they give you sausages? Well, I think they might do sausages as well. To be honest. Got like, um, yeah, they got yeah. I mean, they got like sauces, all sorts in there. But don't go there because they don't. They, I think they, they don't even follow us on Twitter. So, <laughs> well, they're getting all this free advertising. They're not going to pay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, talking about recommendations, it's time for the listeners to sit back and relax and be the virtual Nia Jackson, Shayna Baszler, and we'll be the virtual Reginald and make a recommendation of the beer that you should drink while you're watching this show. So, uh, do you have any recommendations? Well, I, I think back to what I would have been drinking at this time period in 1997. So I'm not going to go for a beer. I'm going to go for Mets. Remember Mets? It's kind of like a, uh, yeah, yeah. That's what I would have been drinking. I've had that or Reef in um, 1997. So I don't know if these things even exist anymore. But that's what Reef, I recommend. Reef definitely doesn't. Does it not? No, no. But yeah, that would be my two recommendations to enjoy whilst watching this. If you want to go a full kind of 1997 vibe. Cool. Damn. Uh, well, if I'm going to recommend what I would have been drinking uh, back in 1997, it would have probably have been Diet Coke or apple juice because I was eight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, Beer-wise, I'm going to go with one that I actually tried recently. Uh, it's called, it's my namesake, it's called Griffin Tamer, which is a vanilla coconut imperial stout, 12% from uh, Neon Raptor Brewing Company. I gave it a 4.75 on Untapped. It is fucking delicious. And quite frankly, I just I recommend it because you'll need to be pissed to make this show bearable. I wish I had been. <laughs> well, well that, that's a take. I'm surprised uh, your dad wasn't substituting the juice out for dark mild or something when you were eight, knowing Andy. <laughs> he, he, he might have been, to be honest. Look how I turned out. <laughs> uh, 
I'm going to recommend uh, another vocation brewery to keep with the Halifax theme and another high percentage one to keep with the Steve theme. It's vocation brewer's Imperial Kirsch Imperial Stout at 11%. It's one that I gave four to one untapped. So you gave 4.5 to untapped. So for I it remember down. it. It was lovely. I might have to go onto this untapped thing and have a look. Um, so is it like a, you, you compared it to Poke? I was, I'd never, I'd never downloaded the Pokemon app either, so I don't really know what it is, but you just kind of go around and click on these little nails, do you give them a review, that kind of thing? Yeah, it's just kind of <laughs> you just yeah. uh, put, put a review on it and uh, record okay. drinking and then it, worry it's about the only it. Social, it's the only social media that Steve would actually like. Yeah, it, I'll it, get on it. It's, it's, all about rating, it's all about rating beer, and it can show, if you're in a different city, it can show you the nearest, like, affiliated pubs that have got okay. a of beer in them. And it can even, if you get leathered, it can even, you can even order an Uber through it. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, I'll have a look. I'll, I'll recommend that to Steve as well, yeah. Yeah, I think he'll enjoy it. The other thing he'll enjoy is uh, it's very hit and miss, whether it sends you notifications if someone sends you a message on it. So you won't have to speak to anyone either. No, no. This is sound more and more like his kind of thing. So, yeah. Great stuff. So next is Beth's Beer of the Week. And Beth's Beer of the Week is Lager by Hawkshead Brewery. I really suggest they get more inventive with their names. So Beth's Beer of the Week was the inspiredly named Lager by Hawkshead Brewery, which is a 5% lager. She's given 4.5 to an untapped. I gave 3.5. I wasn't as impressed, but still a decent beer. I suppose it does what it says on the tin. I've never tried it. Is it literally just called Lager? Just called Lager. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. that simplicity. Yeah, whenever I've gone up to, up to Saltair or the Shipley, that kind of area where my mate lives, I will go around the pubs and literally anything that says lager on it, I will I will drink because, again, I'm not a fan. They'll be, be drinking all kind of wonderful ales, and I'll be looking for anything with a recognisable pump, basically. So if there's something called lager, then I'm all over it. Fair enough. <laughs> I would be, I'd do that. I'm, I'm, I'm as happy drinking my, uh, you know, my fancy imperial stouts. I'm, a, I'm as happy doing that as I'm just having a just a pint of Amstel. That's what I used to drink when my local was open. Last All time we were me. in Bristol, uh, Beth made does go on a uh, a drunk tour of the city trying to find somewhere that had Benedictine. Okay. <laughs> it ended up being like this sort of, you know, pub club type thing, you know, with dancing and. Like, and then she got in there and she's like, it's too loud. It's like we, we've been to every establishment in Bristol trying to look for Benedictine, and as soon as you find it, you want to go home. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking Benedictine. That, yeah. I wouldn't know where to get Benedictine in Bristol, to be honest. Good. Is one. <laughs> I'll have a look in the spa tomorrow for something there. But... So in terms of where we're sitting with the ratings at the moment, obviously we said this is the highest rated episode for Jim Cornette. And Vince Russo, as we explained last week, it's quite a stable period for WWF. The average for the ratings was 2.7. It's a reasonably flat trend. They actually got a, a high of 4.1 this week, but that's because they're actually going unopposed because Nitro is going to be on Tuesday night. Nitro is actually going to get 3.75, so slightly lower, but obviously on a different night. The show was broadcast on the 21st of July 1997 from Halifax, Nova Scotia at the Scotiabank Centre. And there were 8,544 people there, which is far and away the highest uh, attendance we've had for a WWF show so far. In fact, it's as many people as we had on the first show, higher than the highest we've had before. 
Yeah, so the first show was 1,600 people. This is 1,600 people more than the highest previously. Got you. Sorry about that. My my brain shit itself. I was struggling as well, yeah. That just shows you how, you know, how business was up at this period. It Um, felt like more people as well. That felt like a bigger audience. It was a bigger audience, and they felt really engaged with it. And that's possibly because it's a live show, but they've been warmed up by watching the tapings for Saturday Night Heat previously, and it has a match, the Headbangers versus Scott Damore and Tony Roy. Are we sure it was Scott Damore? Well, you think it was Balls Mahoney, but it was definitely Scott Damore. That way it was fucking Balls Mahoney, the internet <laughs> said so. Have you watched that dark match then? No, we, we had a previous episode where Dan believed what the network said rather than ah. what was so he just mm. he wrote down Balls Mahoney when the commentators were saying Demar on the offensive and <laughs> it is yeah. not Demar in the ring. They didn't say Demar. They did. <laughs> Jay before you sent it to you. <laughs> I haven't listened to it. It didn't say Demar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If Dan doesn't hear it, it doesn't happen. No, okay, fair enough. I yeah, know something exactly. like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Superb. So as we've done before, what we're going to do is we're each going to go through five moments that we think are notable from the show. There may be good moments, there may be bad moments, maybe just things that we want to raise, and we're going to try and come to a consensus between us. So if we agree on all five, fantastic. If not, we're going to have to have a bit of a negotiation and work it down. So, Andy, as you're the guest, what would be your first? Okay, so I've written this at the back of my intensive, detailed notes. So I'll go with the first one. So, I mean... It's obvious, but I'll go with the main event, the flag match. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I would. Um, yeah. I'd be in agreement for the uh, the flag match. It was certainly a thing. A thing that happened. Well, we've got two for the flag match, so we'll we'll do that. So, in terms of the flag match, they've been promoting this all show, really building the whole card around it. It's the Heart Foundation, so Brett Owen and Bulldog, and they're against Stone Cold... Dude Love and later on The Undertaker's going to arrive uh, fashionably late into the match. Heart Foundation gets standing ovation when they come out. Obviously the hometown heroes. Bulldog's got a sign and it's like one of those signs that you see in the back of people's cars for football clubs. Uh, it's got the um, Heart Foundation <laughs> on the American flag. That was fantastic. That was actually, I was contemplating whether to bring this up Sort of in this bit or just later on, but I absolutely loved that. That sign was probably the best part of this match. Yeah, you saw it in the. I think somebody in the crowd had it, didn't they, earlier on? Whether he got that sign out of the crowd or somebody passed it down to him, but or, or it was a sign that was just going around at the time where it had been copied, whatever. But but you kind of saw it in someone had it during the show in the crowd. But yeah, it was, yeah, it looks great. Look. Isn't it a crime to deface the American flag? Only in America. Well, yeah, that's a good point. They were in Canada. There was an American, there was like a half and half American and Canadian flag in the crowd that someone was waving. And I, I was thinking in, in Canada, it's a statement. In America, you're probably uh, going to prison or something. Well, there was a thing, wasn't there? I remember hearing about when they, um, when they did a whole Sergeant Slaughter, Hulk Hogan thing. And I think they, whether they changed the law then, but they were debating, I think they changed the law where you could, if you wanted to, you could burn the American flag, or you could do something to the American flag, and they were kind of debating, well, now it's legal 
shall we set fire to the American flag on on TV and they decided not to do it because it was legal, but <laughs> it might not be something you want to do. So, Incite um, a riot. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I don't know what the actual laws are on that, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was still illegal. Well, it was worse than that because they, they burnt the Hulkamania shirt. Mm. And, and Hulk Hogan's just there uh, ready to save the world. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that on a, on, a, on another podcast somewhere. But, I can't uh, think where. No, no. <laughs> so Brett's doing a great impression of um, Lance Storm from the future, asking for the uh, Canadian national anthem to be played. And <laughs> we get the crowd singing the national anthem, flags are waving. And I, I don't know about you guys, and it'd probably be different if we had an American on this show. And apologies to any Americans that do listen, although our analytics say there aren't any. It's... <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, it's like all British and ninety-two percent male, so we, we need to do something about that. <laughs> I don't know. Being non-American, we've had to sit through USA chants, "America the Beautiful," like every verse end sort of thing, and it, it's great when you see it not being America. Yeah, I don't get the kind. I've said before uh, on Twitter and in a lot of places, I don't get the level of indoctrinated patriotism in America where they play the national anthem for the opening of a horse legs it's just it, it baffles me and I, I questioned it on Twitter when I was last in uh, Orlando Why, what's the need to have the up, uh, playing of the national anthem at the opening of a theme park and I got told if I didn't like it I could always go home and <laughs> my retort back was well I'm on holiday I'll be going back in a week anyway um, it, it, I was just saying I don't understand it it's it's not necessarily a criticism, it's just confusing. So to see something like that that'll just that'll just get people wound up was um was actually quite nice, like you say. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Stone Cold and Dude Love come out. Stone Cold gets booed, most over healing the business and is getting booed because he's um, a dirty cheating American. Dude Love comes out, the crowd actually quite like Dude Love. He is yeah. an American, but he's managed to transcend that into being a likable person. So, <laughs> yeah, you can't boo Mick Foley, can you? I don't think. I think it's impossible to boo. Yeah, well, it, yeah. the character Doodle also had no had no real sort of allegiance. His only allegiance was to Stone Cold and being Stone Cold's tag partner. Other than that, he was just kind of there. He's having the time of his life, and that it was pretty relatable. Yeah, and then we're about to go to break, and the Undertaker's dong hits. And Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> We're about to go to break and Undertaker's walking down windmilling with an American flag sticking out of his bell end. <laughs> Anyone who's only just started watching wrestling, it was very different in the Attitude Era. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a doll. Well, it's a, it's a gong. It's not a doll. There you go. It was a tactic, though, wasn't it, to keep... I mean, not that literally... I don't think they planned it that way. I mean, they do things in the, they'd always, in this sort of time period, well, even now, they'll do kind of semi-interesting things before a break. Well, they actually didn't do that anymore. But they used to do that in the past, where you do some, a little bit of a cliffhanger, go to break, come back. But that was literally as they're about to yeah. go off, wasn't it? It was like, then the music started, so it started a little bit too late, or, but they were like, and then even the commentator sounded quite shocked. So, but it was like literally right as they're about to go off. So, if you'd have just sort of mentally switched off whilst watching that, you probably wouldn't even twig that the Undertaker was coming out. Speaking and then when you, of, yeah, speaking of someone who mentally switched off during most of this show, um, the the gong actually perked me up. I was like, "Wait, what?" 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it actually grabbed my attention. Yeah, I didn't remember that until watching this back. I had no idea the, if a third man was going to come out. I was thinking because of what had gone earlier early on. It just seemed strange that the Undertaker wasn't on the show at all. And then yeah, to have him turn up then, I was I was shocked as well. But yeah, you'd have remembered it if he'd been windmilling down the ra- the ramp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If the Undertaker's dong would have hit, I would have uh, yeah. Just drag him behind him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh that was very childish, childish stuff. Uh, but you see, it's funny because penises. Yeah, you wouldn't get that on our show, to be honest. The, there was another very childish bit. So it's a flag match, but you have to tag in and out. So they've got poles at each side, one with the Canadian flag on, one with the American flag. And The Undertaker's got this genius idea that while he's not the legal man, he can creep up to the American flag and try and take it down. And the mm. referee keeps like shooing him back to his corner. And <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that episode of Father Ted where um, they've got the over 70s priest football game and Ted tells Dougal <laughs> to steal a corner flag. And it was yeah. just like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you have a priest who's sort of keeping an eye on him when he's doing it as well. And he's like, yeah, yeah. slowly moving up there. Yeah. It's probably the same sort of time. I think The Undertaker saw Father Ted and went, I'm going for this. Yeah. Greatly influenced. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, the higher power was going to be Dick Byrne, but they didn't, uh, they couldn't get the visa, I don't think. But the money was, the money's just been resting in Vince's account all this yeah. time. Yeah. 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 Maybe it was that, who was that one that they kept uh, ringing and they always had a disaster when he was answering the phone? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> I can't what his name was. Yeah. He'd be like, skiing, skiing, accident. skiing down a mountain. Yeah. 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 <laughs> It says a lot about how good this match was that we're getting distracted by talking about penises and father's head. Um, it just, the only good, one of the very few good things about this, and it calls back to, I think, our first episode, was Owen, uh, Owen Hart workhorsing his way through the match. Yeah. Yeah, that was, he was phenomenal again, the same as when I think it was um, Yoko and Owen against, oh, I can't fucking remember who they were against. Smoking guns? Uh, man, men on a mission. Yeah, same. Both. Yeah, we, we've seen both smoking guns and men on a mission against Yoko. Oh, Jesus, it was, it was men on a mission. It was because I remember he was he was the only one who could like move for more than five seconds. But it, it was that kind of traditional what you used to get the main event of Raw at this time was like you get some big names in there. You got ten minutes, and we've got like a rough idea of what the finish is going to be. It's just just do whatever for like ten minutes, get a few spots in. The crowd's going to be well, in, in this case, the crowd's going to be massively into it anyway. You get the crowd reaction. You've got enough big names in there. You've got obviously got the Heart Foundation. You've got the Undertaker. You've got Stone Cold Steve Austin. You've got Dude Love. So it was never going to be like a a technical kind of masterclass, was it? It was going to be just a few little spots. You've got the end, and then you know, just do what you like for ten minutes. Yeah, the the star power was off the charts in this match, and I wasn't expecting. I mean, I wasn't expecting a, a five star classic or, or to be blown away. But the fact that the for like I think five minutes I was questioning why are they tagging in and out? It, why is one team set yeah. for the tags? <laughs> and it's like it yeah. was almost it was almost like a weird way to play up to be baby faces in that the Hart Foundation were there ready to do the tags and the Amer- the dastardly mm. Americans were just in and out and being all clusterfucky. But it, the commentary didn't get any of that across. So I'm just yeah. sat there confused as fuck, thinking, eh? Bit of a straight what up. We're doing? The, the, the crowd. Uh massively behind the heart foundation so the heels are faces and the, the faces are heels but then the commentators are 
you've got Jerry Lawler who doesn't like so the, the commentators are Jerry Lawler is very anti the Hart Foundation anyway, sort of pro America. JR is kind of in between, and Vince is just trying to kind of stay, kind of still believing that Bret Hart is a good person and doing the right kind of thing and trying not to get kind of overly involved. So it, it is quite confusing from that sort of dynamic about who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. Mm. Um, I think we might have, I think we might end up agreeing on having the flag match on, but I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why. If if we bring it up for it being good or being bad or just because it was a clusterfuck. <laughs> well, I mean, for a again, it wasn't a it wasn't a great match, but uh, I mean, I I I, got, I quite enjoyed the show to be honest. Again, because it was mm-hmm. as we said earlier, this was the kind of time which I started after WrestleMania this year. I kind of started getting back into wrestling. So I've been away for a few years. So I was, and again, this was the time. This was kind of so Raw used to be on. We used to get raw on like Friday nights, don't we? I think. Yeah, ten o'clock time. Friday night. Yeah, so it would be, I'd either get home for the end, from the pub, after having the skinful, or we'd be around some of the house having a few beers, kind of watching. So again, I would probably watch this under the influence of quite a lot of alcohol. So, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't. Yeah, it was probably just for the for the names and the kind of. The whole atmosphere. I, I did enjoy the finish as well because again, I completely forgot that. Mm. So that was quite a nice little surprise at the end. Because again, I was thinking during the show, well, where's Brian Pillman? Yeah, uh, yeah I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I did, I yeah, did and I completely finish. forgotten that. I forgotten that was the end. So, but you kind of knew. You had a feeling they were going to win. Obviously, being in Canada, the way the crowd were, but it was like when that actually happened at the end. It was it was quite a nice surprise. And the crowd also loved it. The little bits where we got Brett and Taker in the ring together, yeah, working to that for the pay per view. But you know that, that that was kind of massively over at the time. Um, I, I'm putting it down as a good as well. I mean, come on, Dan, we've got things on polls. Uh, <laughs> I, I knew I was going to bring it up. I, I wanted because I know I knew I just fucking you. Well, it, says, it says a lot, Rob. One of your favourite matches is the uh, Judy Bagwell on a forklift match. <laughs> Right, if you actually watch the Canyon Buff Bagwell match and forget that Judy Bagwell's on a pole, it's a good match. And the crowd, I know we've watched it together. The, you know, you know, I, I, I'm a glutton for punishment. I watch Dark Elevation. I watch Dark, and none of those matches matter one little bit. Judy Bagwell on a forklift match mattered. This flag match mattered. They built it for the the whole thing about a, a pole match is they have a reason to have the match in the first place. It's not just guys in pants fighting because they want to say who's the best guy in, the, in pants that can fight. There's no, an actual it's, it's, it's dudes in pants fighting to see who hmm. can grab some off a pole the best. So I'd never but, seen the Judy Bagwell on a pole match. I, I, I've not really... I, I didn't watch a lot of WCW, really. I, I, again, I was solely kind of gone up through WWF. I've gone back and watched a lot of WCW, but I've not watched a lot of that time period of WCW, sort of 99, 2000, because I don't want... <laughs> There's a lot more stuff I need to catch up on, which is actually quite good, rather than some of the stuff I've heard about on there. But what was the... So she was on a pole, yeah? She was on a forklift. But what, on a forklift, sorry. But what was the what was the aim of the match? To right, get so... Down the, the, the forklift, or the, the storyline was that Canyon was obsessed with DDP, yeah, and was trying to emulate DB, DDP in every way, and mm. but he was like the low rent DDP. So DDP had you know Kimberly, who'd you know she's the Nitro girl, she's the model, that kind of thing. 
Canyon has to go for a bit lower rent, so he goes for Buff Bagwell's mum. Okay. Of course, Buff Bagwell's taking umbrage to that. So mm-hmm. Buff Bagwell's fighting to get his mum back, and um, Canyon's right. fighting for the honor of his, uh, his lover. Right, okay. <laughs> and I should point out, Rob couldn't give a rundown of that and keep a straight face. Can I point something yeah. out? That you've sat through WCW New Blood Rising 2000 and admitted that it's a great show. Yeah, I was, just, I was literally just about to say the same thing. I am fully just baiting you with all this. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> I, actually, I actually did sit through New Blood Rising with a, with a skin full and, and really enjoy it. So but, what, um, was, what was Judy Bagwell's preference? Was she, did she want to... It was the what? 90s, nobody asked. Yeah. Judy Bagwell was more focused on getting back to a tag team with Rick Steiner and uh, regaining the WWE <laughs> Championship. Hang on, was that a thing? <laughs> mm. Judy Bagwell and Rick Steiner actually tag team champions? Yes. Yeah. Mm. <sighs> well, yeah. <clears throat> Well, um, so yeah, I'll, uh, I'll 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 go with the majority vote, and we can have the flag match on and, and get okay. off that subject. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to go back and check out 2000 WCW. To be honest, we'll leave it there. I think. Yeah, you don't have to, Andy, because we'll be reviewing a lot of the episodes. Mm. Well, maybe you can get me on one of those one of those episodes, and I can watch it for the first time with a, <laughs> with a fresh set of eyes. Yeah, I would love that. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I think we're going to struggle for guests. <laughs> so many people don't want to watch WCW 2000. I know about three people who will gladly watch it again. Yeah, yeah. Not including Rob. <laughs> right, so Dan, what, what's your notable thing? Uh, what was it? So I've got to go back through my notes now, because I, I didn't actually want to talk about that flag match ever. But we'll stick with the... Actually, no, we won't. Uh, I'm going to go to the opposite end of the show and go for Vader versus Ken Shamrock. Because as much as I could, as much as I could slag off other parts of this show, I actually really enjoyed this match. It was, it, it just, it felt like a fight. The in your house match where they showed the brief replay was uh, just looked violent, and this uh, this carried on really. It, apart from the uh, the Shamrock dog food promo. Which was uh, which was terrible. The uh, the commentary made a big deal about Shamrock breaking Vader's nose. Vader had his you know his big paw swipes, and they just it, it just felt like they were legitimately trying to kick the shit out of each other, which is very much uh, very much my kind of wrestling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a good match. I, I enjoyed the match. It was it was on my list as well, to be honest. But it was kind of I always watch Vader in WWF as a sort of. A tinge of kind of, especially at this point, he's kind of already gone. He's at his kind of peak, and they're already using him as a almost as as putting over the new people, aren't they? And he was only he still looked in fairly reasonable shape, to be honest. I noticed that, that when they put him in with Shamrock, they were kind of almost putting him in with Shamrock as they knew Vader had this kind of reputation as seeing himself as a bit of a, a shooter and a bit of a you know a bit stiff. So he put him in with someone who is actually legitimately you know, a UFC fighter and really stiff and green as well. And it was kind of, well, just let them hit the shit out of each other. And bowler counts, Vader came off, well, obviously came off quite worse, from worse for wear from, from that. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was a good match. And for, to me, Vader still looked decent at this, at this stage. 
but yeah. obviously the people in the events etc probably you know seen seen enough by this point and reusing them is you know let's put over the new guys yeah I, I thought it was a decent match and it was quite interesting that the kind of for a large period of the match, made Vader look like he was getting most of kind of the MMA offense in. They have a flashback to um, In Your House Cold Day in Hell, where Vader um, breaks Shamrock's nose. And, and then there were a few sort of little Easter eggs that popped me, and maybe nobody else. But the show highlight pack, the, the highlight package that the show from In Your House had those little spotty distortions that you used to get on Sky if it was raining. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I didn't notice that. It just <laughs> took me back. I remember because those old sky dishes used to rust like hell. So every couple of years, my dad would go up on a ladder and like wax all the sky dish so it didn't rust. And you could actually see his arm like painting it on while you were watching TV in the distortion. That was a great moment. I loved that. The other thing uh, was the... because. Uh, this is building to the Shamrock Bulldog match. And Shamrock's saying that if he loses to the Bulldog, he's going to eat dog food. And there's there with Bulldog, and he's got a um, can of Predigree chum. And Jerry Lawler says, that's good stuff. It's $2 a can. <laughs> I, I, fully like, believe, I fully believe that Jerry Lawler was speaking from experience and that he has actually eaten dog food by this point. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he probably would stoop that low. But yeah, I did quite like been... Vera. Uh, sorry, I did quite like Vera beating Shamrock with his shoe as well. That popped me. I just started laughing. It was <laughs> it was great. Just what a, what a swatty thing to do. Just put, put, take your shoe off. Just go for it. He's a, he's, he's a treat. This uh, again, he's one of my he was one of my mentions actually for something else on this list. But Paul Barra uh, being more of a kind of traditional manager rather than Paul Bearer as the Undertaker, Paul Bearer. Yeah, he was good. But I also noticed as well, you could tell with Shamrock being quite green when Vader did like a, I think he did a, a, a splash on the top rope and Shamrock kicked, literally kicked out of one, pretty much. <laughs> like, so you could see what, and then Vader went up and tried to go for the moonsault, I think, and got the Vader bomb, but he was like, yeah, he's still, he's still pretty green at this point, Shamrock. He was ahead of that's all they do these days. It's, uh, it's oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Kick out one off a massive move, yeah. Yeah, It was like yeah. watching AEW for a second. Well, <laughs> I mean, my heckles go up. As soon as somebody mentions AEW when I'm recording the podcast, I just brace myself for 10 minutes of vitriol. So, but, yeah. The only, though, going back to, uh, going back to penises, they kept referencing Shamrock's uh, knuckle-up time. And I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure that was just a reference to masturbating. Possibly, yeah, possibly. He always looked quite angry, didn't he, Shamrock? So maybe he was a lot of pent up frustration. <laughs> We're going to end up talking about Luke Gallows again at this rate. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed um, he didn't have it on during this match, but I used to like his little. He used to wear a red dressing gown to the ring, didn't he, Ken Shamrock? Yeah, I the fight quite like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A big um, fan of that. Vader dumping Shamrock o- over the top onto the apron. When he had him up for a power bomb, that looked nasty as fuck. Yeah, I think that was yeah. just before the finish when Bulldog came out and power slammed, uh, power slammed Shamrock for the count out win. So that, that, in fact, my only sort of real problem with the match was the was the uh, the count out, uh, the count out victory. I wanted to see it go longer. Yeah, we can see obviously just one guy's got a match at the pay per view. Yeah, and the other guy's 
as oh yeah for, for, for narrative for narrative purposes it, it makes absolute sense but yeah um, yeah it did what but it set up a, it also set up a a rubber match with with Vader and Shamrock down the line so yeah yeah. And because we've got a partisan crowd, we get the crowd absolutely popping for the cheating on the outside and Shamrock getting uh, counted out. Yeah. yeah. So, it's always been that way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. From, from this sort of time period on, onwards, Canada was always always that kind of, what was it, Lawley used to call it, like, bizarro land, wasn't it? It was this kind of weird, you know, they're going to cheer, the, cheer the, the hills and boo the faces and... I think it was around this time period where they, obviously WWF were kind of playing on the fact with Brett being a literally being a, a heel everywhere else apart from in or, or being like a face in America and then like a heel almost around the world. Uh, no, the other way around. I'm drunk. <laughs> <laughs> being a heel in America and a face everywhere else. Yeah, yeah. But the bizarre well, thing extended to uh, to late in later years extended to uh, to Britain as well. Like yeah. for the, uh, the night, particularly the night after Mania, when there was yeah. an influx of of international fans, a lot of them English or, or British, and you just get a great atmosphere. It was like it was almost like a, a football match. Yeah, yeah. With all the chants going off, and they they just call it Bizarro World because they'd very rarely conform to uh, yeah. to what they expect off an American crowd. Yeah, but your point there about how they'd booked Bret Hart, uh, and I'm I'm happy to agree with the Vader Shamrock one. My next one would feed into that point Andy that uh, it's a video package right at the start of the show mm. and they've got Bret Hart there on the video and Jim Ross is doing the voiceover saying how come a, can a man be reviled in one country and uh, loved in another and is it blind prejudice is it patriotism aren't they one and the same thing and you know it's got some um, Canadian fla- um, fans giving the view on Bret Brett saying that Canada is a country where people take care of the sick and old, where um, we still have a healthcare system. You know, it's sort of just playing into all the differences between the two countries. I thought it was really good. It set the tone for the whole show. And it was a really put, well put together video package. And if, if we think that this is an episode where they know that Nitro's not on and they're going to get maybe 1.6 million Nitro fans tuning in for the first time, this is a really good way of showing them what the main storyline is and mm. that this is a nuanced storyline. It's not just a case of good versus evil. There's shades of grey in here. There's different perspectives, that kind of thing. Uh, and I thought it was a brilliant way to start the show. Mm. And in a way that may reflect in why they put Vader on first as well. If you've got a lot of people that are used to watching WCW and now watching WWF, well, first match up, you've got a, a guy who was like a early 90s stalwart of WCW. Sig Vader out first match as well. It's, uh, it kind of works. But I did enjoy that video package. And again, the kind of the irony of the Americans talking about patriotism and prejudice, is it kind of one in the same? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's kind of, yeah. Well, for every other night of the year, it's not. But for this one night, yeah, maybe it is, yeah. I enjoyed the package too. Um, I just I didn't think that deeply about it, to be perfectly honest. Um, <laughs> but I can't disagree with anything uh, anything either, either of you are saying. It, it really was fantastic. I, I actually wrote down the uh, is it blind pre- pa- is it blind patriotism or blind prejudice? Yeah, that, that in particular was a great a great line. But you couple that with the 
the act at the very start of the opening where they give all the stats of like we mentioned it in the last episode where they're running down the languages the countries the number of people watching and then you go into that you go into that opening promo and then the pyro hits yeah so you have the, the like the intro with the uh, you know the explosions and the riot opening and all of that and then the pyro hits that whole opening segment was just was actually was just really fucking good yeah yeah definitely so we'll so go to three, three. We, we need to start falling out, otherwise, uh, if we're going to finish okay. it. <laughs> right. I, I've got one in the back pocket for us to fall out on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm going to go for the um, Shawn Michaels promo as a as a as a really good thing. Yeah. Now, I don't like. I'm quite. Well, we've again, we've always been when the shows we review, we've always been quite vocal. We're very much against Shawn Michaels at this kind of time period, you know, we've, we've, we've gone on about how, again, we look at Vader in the first match, basically Vader's sort of beginning of his downfall in WWF was due to Shawn Michaels, basically. And again, a lot of people he didn't put over with Brett, that kind of thing. But this is the kind of perfect setting for the perfect version of Shawn Michaels, I think, where obviously in the US, he's still a face at this point. Yeah. So, but to come out in front of that crowd who are 100% behind Bret Hart, all completely despise Shawn Michaels. Now, I'd imagine th- this time period in the, in the US, a lot of probably 50% of the crowd in the US probably dislike Shawn Michaels quite a lot. You always get these signs like with HB Gay and things like that when you're in kind of the, the male kind of percentage of the crowd. Of, got sick of Shawn Michaels as a face by this point so then you take it to Canada where literally everybody so the men the women the children they all hate Shawn Michaels and then getting to come out as he did to his music prancing along you know winding the crowd up getting in the ring and saluting the flag and doing his little sort of dance in his shorts with no shirt on and Vince is like oh look at him like (laughs) kind of falling over him the Vince chasm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this was—I think this was the perfect kind of storm for that, that the Shawn Michaels character at that time, where he is an arrogant asshole, basically, and he is, you know, probably being favoured by the owner. But he's playing up to all those factors in front of a crowd who are quite happy to to boo him and to be visibly angry at him. Um. So I thought, yeah, this was as good as Shawn Michaels, that character was at this kind of time period before, obviously, he turns fully heel a few months down the line. Yeah, they, they absolutely sailed into the wind with him in being a dick. Yeah. And, you know, obviously he's said that he was injured and had to relinquish his half of the tag team championships previously, probably because he doesn't want to do a job. And someone in the crowd has a sign that says HBK refuses to job. <laughs> I didn't see that sign. I'm annoyed I missed it. It's a bit it on the nose, per- isn't it? I mean, it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Perfect timing for it. And he was riling up the crowd, and the crowd were chanting, We want Brett mm. as well. That, you know, that's the perfect storm. It's not just that they hate him, they want you know, the Canadian hero to come and deal with him sort of thing, you know, you're just building up so much heat. It was brilliant. And the fact that then he announces himself as the special guest referee for the championship match between Brett and Taker, 
you know, it's just sort of adding layers on layers. And obviously the Canadian fans are thinking that he's going to screw Brett. Uh, and then he's saying that if he cheats, he's not allowed to work in America anymore. So he's going to move to Canada and move next door to Brett. <laughs> and you have to see me every week. And he's just yeah. rattling up. But you don't get that kind of thing these days, I suppose, if you have if you had a show in Canada, but you you kind of don't get that kind of reaction. I mean, in, in sort of modern times, the people who would get that reaction would be the people that they wouldn't want to get that reaction. You know, you get people getting booed or like, you know, like the issue with like coming Roman Reigns when they're kind of getting that kind of heat with people, but they don't want them to get that kind of heat. So this was kind of again, the, the perfect kind of mix of you've got the right crowd, the guy who is that kind of character anyway, and you've got the antagonist in Brett, who's the, the one they all want, and then you've got the history of the two of them anyway. So you mix it all in, and it, yeah, it kind of works. I was so bored during this promo. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go, right, yeah. None of this held my attention. I was so bored. No. He was banging on about freeing Ferry, something, some shit joke about Canadian army men surrendering, which was basically a joke that your granddad would make about the French. The US doesn't fall into the ocean because Canada sucks. That's actually helpful then, really. Otherwise, America would be completely submerged. I, I, <laughs> again, I was just, I was just so bored. Like, yeah, I, I get, I understand all the narrative elements to it. I just didn't give a fuck. At all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, fair enough. It's uh, I, I thought the use of that story about the ferry was really good because Jerry Lawler in an earlier segment had sort of read that from the newspaper and they were showing the headlines. There, there was yeah. a national incident between the two countries conveniently for WWF just leading into this event. And, you know, they're, they're playing on this whole rivalry and they bring that up. Problem, and, problems with international waters just reminded me of Brexit, and that's never a good thing. No, no. <laughs> I thought Shawn Michaels was kind of making it, using it into kind of innuendo. With they're, obviously, they're all a lot of the crowd have got these, you know, I'd say a lot of the crowd. There's a fair percentage of the crowd there. It's 1997, so going to be chanting kind of homophobic stuff at him. And he's yeah. talking about seamen in ferries and that kind of thing. And I think it was, I think a lot of it was kind of a, a very thinly veiled, not very thinly veiled, very kind of clumsily kind of innuendo at the time from, uh, or maybe I'm giving too much credit. <laughs> he was just reading it off. I think you're giving him too much credit. <laughs> okay. It, it, was, it was a step above, it was a step above Luke Gallows missing a match because he had to have a wank. <laughs> oh, or missing a running or whatever it was. That, that. Uh, that that's killed wrestling. Luke Gallows has killed wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not aware of that. I don't really need to be aware of it, to be honest. But yeah, I'm only aware of it because Rob told me. Yeah, yeah. But no, I can't. I can't this is the first dissension. I, okay. I can't agree with the. Uh, I can't agree with the HBK promo. Okay, um, fair enough. What I would move it on to, which was not something I'd planned actually, but I'd, I'd sort of counteract you putting that forward with the fallout from that. Normally, I'm not a fan of things interrupting matches, but when the Hart Foundation come out in the following match, Triple H versus the Patriot, and Brett's confronting Vince, and we can't quite hear what he's saying, and we get, but we get the standoff, Brett going for Vince, being pulled away, and we get that first flash of Mr. McMahon. And the yeah. character that will become. Obviously, I'm, I'm looking at that with, you know, full hindsight. But that at the time 
will have felt felt completely real. Will have felt, what the hell is this? You know, why is he going after Vince? It's Gorilla Monsoon, or is it? You know, what's actually going on? And it was, it, yeah, like I said, it just felt real, and it was. I think that's pretty much completely different to anything we've uh, we've seen, especially involving McMahon so far. Uh, on the shows we've reviewed, we've reviewed here, reviewed here. So I sort of counteract that with the fallout from that promo. Oh yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, that was probably again me getting back into things at this time. This felt really exciting because, again, it was it did have that element of of realness. And again, looking back, it is kind of you're almost kind of playing on kind of realistic situations because you've got that issue with the way Sean is acting at the time and Brett's always had this kind of demeanour of like well Sean gets what he wants basically I've been here all these years doing you know when we, we we on our show we spoke about Wrestlemania from this year and we had that the beginning of that kind of situation where Brett has turned by the end obviously turned fully heel in America anyway but leading up to that, he's again he's, he's been aggressive towards Vince and pushed Vince and like saying this is bullshit. Like why why is Austin allowed to get away with this stuff? Why am I getting screwed out of title matches? And obviously that's just gone on to now to where uh Shawn Michaels is involved as well. And you've got the history from the WrestleMania twelve and you've got what happened after that and then what happened leading up to WrestleMania thirteen. So obviously Brett in his mind is in real life, in his mind, he's probably thinking that Brett, uh, that uh, Sean is being favoured by Vince, and they're almost playing into this real life storyline and mixing it into the into the actual show. And again, watching it at the time, it was really exciting. This was like this felt quite realistic. The one counter I'd put to this point is this was in the middle of a Triple H Patriot match. And <laughs> yeah. it's killed more shows that we've <laughs> reviewed so far with his <laughs> dishwater style of wrestling at this so point. That's a, so that's a bonus. It's a bonus. <laughs> it interrupted a Triple H match. I did I enjoy did. how Triple H was beating up the Patriot and then obviously the, the Heart Foundation came down and started beating up the Patriot as well. And then as that melee finished, Triple H didn't get involved with the Heart Foundation and Vince. He just kind of pushed his way through the crowd and just continues beating at the Patriots. <laughs> it was like, you know, the Patriots just getting his ass kicked. But. I did think it was funny with the Patriot because they had him there before the match backstage cutting a promo and he's there saying the Patriot appreciates patriotism for every country, but he thinks that possibly Canada could have better role models than the Hart Foundation. So yeah. to a American audience, it seemed completely reasonable that, you know, Yes, Canadians can be patriotic, but, you know, clearly the hearts are heels. They can find better role models. Then they send him out to this big American theme, wave an American flag, <laughs> boo him out. It's funny because Triple H came down to the ring and got booed. And then they send the Patriot out with this sort of shtick. And Triple H becomes face, you know, instantly. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> and the irony, the irony of American, of an American saying, you can be patriotic, but don't be a dick about it. Yeah. I know, yeah. Yeah. And, and Vince actually says, um, the patriot who respects all nationalities is now being booed by these Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> but again, there's a lot of irony involved, isn't it? Again, saying, you know, the Americans making a fuss about people being patriotic or, you know, impartial. But... But I quite, when, I, again, when I first got back into it, I quite liked the Patriot for this kind of time period. Obviously, it's only a few months that he was he was gone, but 
yeah, we all make mistakes, don't we? So, yeah, <laughs> I, th- I think maybe we um, put a pin in this one and maybe don't agree completely and move on and maybe okay. Discussion at the end. Um, stick yeah. a pin in the Sean promo. Stick a pin in uh, the Brett Vince fallout. Yeah, yeah. Okay. How many have we got there so far? One. We've Two. got three together. We've got the flag match. We've got Vader yeah. Rock, and we've got the opening package. Okay. Yeah. Are we yeah. Okay with that? yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we've all had two each, haven't we? Yeah. So, yeah. well, Andy, do you want to go again? If so, yeah, each. So I'm going to go for. What well, <laughs> are we talking about? Good things or bad? So this could be any notable thing, can't it? Whatever you want. Well, I'm going to go for something which I enjoy because I completely forgot about, it, and that was the Truth Commission pro. <laughs> now. No, I, I, I completely, I forgot about the Swift Commission until I started watching this back. But um, I've actually been, I went, I've spent a lot of time, well, I spent about six months in South Africa back in the 2004, watching, me and my mate went to watch England play cricket over there. And we travelled around, spent nice. a few weeks, months, just on the booze, basically. And the last, I, uh, I ran out of money by kind of January time. I had to get a flight back. And I travelled back to Johannesburg uh, to get a flight and stayed a couple of nights in this hostel by the airport. And I'd lost track of wrestling by this point. And um, I was staying in this kind of hostel by the airport. And the, some of the guys, the young guys who worked at this hostel, they were watching wrestling in the TV room. I could hear them getting like really excited about this, whoever they were watching and like, oh, this guy's crazy. This guy's nuts. You've got to see this guy. So I kind of thought, oh, I'll just go in and see, have a look to see what they're talking about. And it was uh, Gene Snitsky. <laughs> <laughs> this was in the time period where he was feuding with Kane and the, the whole issue with Kane and Lisa and the baby. But these teenage South Africans in the in the early 2000s were all massive Gene Snitsky fans. That was the first time I saw Gene Snitsky as well. But this, I think this is this stands out. I mean, it's not a not a particularly good thing, but it just shows what they were kind of doing at the time, where they were trying just random stuff, basically. Again, when we talk about when they talk about it at the start about patriotism and all that kind of thing and prejudice it was the the done thing to you you need a kind of new set of heels where they need to be either foreign or black or latino or that kind of thing it was a kind of how do you make people heels where you make them from a different country and then you give them a, a gimmick of being possibly kind of white supremacist from africa <laughs> i guess uh, that's a good uh I've done a bit of research as well. So they were in, I think they came in, they were in USWA first, which was kind of, a lot of people from this time did a bit of time in USWA and then they kind of shipped them over. But the guy who was the commandant, he was an actor in South Africa and he'd met, he's, Bret Hart had met him when they were in South Africa earlier on this year. I kind of recommended him to come over to the America, America to be a, to be a wrestling manager. So I've actually got a list of some of his films this guy that he was in, and they all sound like uh, Troy McClure uh, films, to be honest, from The Simpsons. So, <laughs> I'm, South Afri- I'm South African Troy McClure. You might remember yeah, yeah, yeah. such yeah. films as. So, he's been in such films as Deadly Passion, Death Sounds Force, like Death Force, 
and my country, my hat. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure the. Uh, I've looked them up on YouTube. There's no, there's no trailers for these films. There's no Wikipedia pages for these films either. So, but yeah, so he obviously he wasn't there for long. They got rid of him and brought in Don Callis, the, uh, the jackal. What was they the jackal at that point? Yeah, the invisible so, hand. The invisible hand. Yeah, whatever he's up to these days. But they, um, yeah, it was just it just struck me watching this. It was like a a faction which I completely blank from my memory and obviously you had Bull Buchanan and Kurgan and the guy who was Sniper was um, a guy we came across when we did our Vader show we watched a lot of old CWA stuff from Europe from Germany and Austria and Sniper was a guy who was uh, called Rambo in CWA he was a quite a big star He's like a French Canadian guy I didn't realise that until I watched this back and went through and I said, oh yeah, we covered some of this stuff when we were doing the Vader episode. But he was there for, yeah, a few months. But but yeah, I just completely forgot about the Truth Commission. I'm fully willing for this to be completely, yeah, completely vetoed. But I just wanted to talk about the Truth Commission for 10 minutes. So uh, I'm amazed you got that much out of it. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> we're, talk- we're talking about an episode that Jim Carnett and Vince Russo have written. Yeah. We've said previously about Bruce Pritchard, who's gone from the creative role into the head of talent relations. And we described that as like a football manager becoming a director of football. Mm. And the problem with the director of football is they can often be in charge of the signings. So they make signings that the managers do not want to use, do not fit into the way the team plays, that kind of thing. And this is what the Truth Commission felt like. Like <laughs> <laughs> Vince Russo were like, we have to put who on the show? Yeah. Like, I, I'm not really sh- yeah. Sorry, I'm not I'm sure re- what the I'm gimmick really was. With, yeah. I'm really impressed with the amount of research you put into the Truth Commission because mm. my my sort of notes on this on this bit were I really liked the film grain over the whole thing. Yeah. Like, it looked and it was shot really well. But the only other note I made about it was I was just really uncomfortable at a oh, white yeah. South African from this point talking about supremacy. Massively, <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I mean, yeah, we're, talking, yeah. we're in 1997 as well. So we're a few years on from Mandela taking charge in, in South Africa. And so it's still, but we weren't that far off of people genuinely being like this in South Africa. So even when I went in 2004, it was a lot of the, there was still a lot, a lot of racial tension then. So at this point, those characters probably weren't too far off of what had been fairly recently quite prominent in South Africa. So I'm not really sure what the, uh, what the long, long-term plan was for these guys. But yeah, when they got rid of the, the commandant quite quickly, then they moved on to like a psychedelic kind of cult leader character instead. Probably for the best. Probably for the best, yeah, I'd say, yeah. Yeah, so I, I can't in good conscience back up uh, <laughs> <laughs> back up the Truth Commission. Oh, yeah. By me suggesting that, I wasn't in any way endorsing white supremacism or... <laughs> nah, I, know, I know you were. I know you were. I just, it was just, it was, to, to me, it was just a thing that was there that made me a bit uncomfortable and I didn't give it more than 10 seconds thought after it was done. No, no. Well, I, I mean, I thought we were, if we were going for notable moments, that struck me as a, as a notable moment. I mean, it was crap, but it was notable. It's definitely a talking point. We've got we've got a good few minutes out of it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's often listen. Talk, 
I got 20 minutes on Los Mariquas and DOA as well, if you want. But... <laughs> we'll save that for uh, UTT podcast Dark Elevation. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go with the whole Dude Love video package. And this follows what we reviewed in the last episode, where we get part three of the Jim Ross interview with Mankind, which is possibly one of the best video slash segments that WWF ever ran. But now there's been a complete change of direction. So we get this whole video where there's like a voiceover that Vince McMahon's doing and he's talking through Mick Foley's career about him being Jack Foley and there's a flashback to when he was jobbing in the WWF to the British Bulldogs in the early 80s, um, talking about when he was Cactus Jack and it's showing his barbed wire death matches in Japan with Terry Funk, that kind of thing. And it's talking about him being mankind. And then it's showing like a flashback to the movie he made when he was 18 and the whole character of Dude Love and how he'd sort of seen himself. And it really played into that last episode when Mick Foley had said, why didn't you take me when I was young? Why didn't you take me when I was good? And he had so much sort of optimism and the fact that he had to put him, himself and his body through so much to kind of get to WWF and it turned him into this twisted character. But all along, he'd wanted to be, you know, the, the white meat baby face type character. And a little bit biased, but there's a bit showing... Shawn Michaels having to vacate the championship. He's there with an ice pack on his knee. And we thought we'd never see him again. But Rene Goulet is carrying Shawn Michaels. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a Goulet Easter egg. Um, and there's Mankind petitioning to become um, Stone Cold's tag team partner to take up the other half of the tag team champions. And he's got a sign around his neck saying, pick me, Stone Cold. And you know, sort of, there's a match, and Mick Foley runs in and um, sort of helps out um, Steve Austin. And there's this sort of look of disgust on Austin's face when he sees Dude Love in the ring with him. But you know, Dude, Dude Love gets the uh, pin on the bulldog, and they're uh, the tag team champions. And he has to sort of live with it. And, and I just thought this whole thing was great, and it kind of really bookended um, that previous promo we watched on the previous episode. Yeah, this was this was one of mine that I was going to bring up. So uh, I'm not going to be the uh, I'm not going to be the dissenting knobhead for once. I really enjoyed this whole thing, and again, it's maybe a bit of recency bias with after the mankind promo in the last episode. But yeah, just the whole rundown, the history of it, the, just why this character has come to be and why it makes a sort of sense. And adding another, you were talking before about layers to a story. It's just another layer to the character. I nearly quoted Shrek. Then I'm not gonna. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just, I absolutely, it was, it was maybe a touch on the long side for somebody who was watching the show at the time and just wanting to get to the next bit. But I absolutely, I was enthralled by it. Yeah, I, I, it was on my list. Again, it, there was a lot of for for the two hour show. There was a quite a lot of talking in segments and not that many matches and it's kind of added to that but I wasn't sure how much of this I can remember obviously the the initial Jim Ross interviews 
I wasn't sure how much of this had been covered in the previous episodes, but that said, this was the first time they'd done the full dude love kind of story. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, that was on my list as well. Excellent. I can't disagree with that one. Yep. Superb. So have you got one, Dan? I have, and it's probably going to be a little bit more divisive. (laughs) Because I want to talk about Brackus. (laughs) Well, oh no. (laughs) And this is... (laughs) It was about 15... It was about 15 seconds of Brackus speaking German. He introduced himself... He gave his weight and said he was coming to American WWF. That's about as much as I got and uh, with what I remember from my A-level German. I didn't bother going back to uh, <laughs> to have a look at, uh, to actually translate what he said. But the dude looked absolutely monstrous. He was jacked as shit. And I'm sat there thinking, why don't I remember Brackus? Here's why I don't remember Brackus, because I went and actually researched him. Uh, he's a German bodybuilder called Akim Albrecht. He, uh, he was active bodybuilding, competing from 1985 to 1994. In 96, he signed a one-year deal with WWF. He only wrestled house shows and dark matches. Um, then this uh, this brief vignette aired, and he was you know hyping the debut. That never came about. He did a stint in USWA, a little, little stint in ECW before returning to WWF in 1998. And he, his, the height of his... Uh, the height of his WWE career, a WWF career, was having a match with uh, with Gold Dust on Shotgun Saturday Night, and I forgot to note down whether he won it or not. He probably lost. Other than that, he was just he uh, he was losing to Jarrett at uh, Mayhem in Manchester. Then he was jobbing to Jarrett and Miro on the European tour. Lost to Savio Vega in the Brawl for All, and he finally got his big win on WWF TV, squashing somebody called Jesus Castillo. He wrestled one match for Stampede and then he fucked off. And it was just one of those things. I, I can't think of another guy that looks sort of so prototypically WWF than Brackus that gets this vignette, this sort of precious time on Raw, only to be virtually completely binned off. So it's on my it's on, it's on my on my sort of notable list in that it was noticeable, it grabbed your eye. And came to absolutely fucking nothing. Yeah, I mean, I can't if if we're if we're vetoing the truth commission, I can't have Brackus. <laughs> I mean, why didn't get his? I'm assuming he was a, was he supposed to be a face? I don't know. Well, he was foreign, so at this point in WWF, he was probably he must have been a heel. Video. Yeah, he was shouting a lot, wasn't he, in a language which people couldn't understand. So I'm assuming he was. It was planned to be a heel, I don't know, but we never knew, did we, really? Because he never really actually wrestled, but... It was the first in Canada. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I mean, yeah. I can't, yeah, no, I I can't go for Brackus if if we're vetoing the true commission. (laughs) I just just, just didn't want to waste my research. No, I know. He was on on my list as well, so don't worry. Just in case you guys said the true commission first. No, I was with the Brackers, but yeah. I made a note to research Brackers and then didn't. That, that's how much of an impression he left on me. I did. I, I did research Russo did. So he was in like a version of the Nation of Domination, Brackers. In, I'm not making this up, this is true. In 
I was over in USA. I think he wrestled in ECW as well. Yeah. Um, I'm not making this up. I'm looking for my phone. I can't find it. But he, uh, yeah, there was like a prototype nation of domination type. And Brackus is involved in that. But yeah, apart from that, that's my limit of Brackus uh, knowledge. So yeah, I, I, I don't think anyone but Dan noticed Brackus. So I think we have to move on. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go back and watch Mayhem in Manchester. <laughs> Just for Brackus. Right. So. I'm gonna. There's not much else left, is there? Well, I'm gonna go for. Uh, I'm not gonna go for the for the. Equals. Los Barricos and DOA. No, <laughs> I'm gonna go for the Paul Bearer promo because I liked again at this time. So he was when when they so so it goes that once he split from the Undertaker, he wanted to kind of get away from what he'd been. So that Paul Bearer with the the makeup and the the eyeliner and the the black hair because obviously before he was he was blonde hair and he was Percy Pringle so he wanted to sort of slowly kind of edge away from the Undertaker and edge away from that Paul Bearer character so obviously he I don't know whether he attempted to to dye his hair blonde again but I know from personal experience when I had hair back in uh, back around this sort of time period it was black and I tried to dye it blonde and it went ginger you can't just go from direct <laughs> black hair to blonde hair it doesn't work so you end up going ginger. So whether this is how Paul Bearer ended up with that ginger mop that he had, no offence, Rob, because you do look a little bit ginger <laughs> by his wife. He's definitely not. Uh, how many of you have not... <laughs> It must be the lighting. must be the lighting. Uh, but this, is, this isn't an anti-ginger tirade, because my podcast co-host is ginger and, and currently looking a lot like Rod Hull. Apparently, I've not seen him in the flesh for a few months. <laughs> But I enjoyed this promo because it kind of pushed along that Kane Undertaker storyline, which has spent a lot of time. This was, again, when we talk about long-term storytelling, this was over the course of, oh, I mean, by the time Kane turned up in October, November time of this year, hadn't he? And they've been doing this since, well, I think the last episode you guys reviewed, when did, when the other's face burned off, was that, that was... That was fairly recently when it was the Undertaker when he when he was turned up and he had bandages around his face and he, then he was oh the Undertaker needs to still be with me or reveal his big secret and um, so it was a long a long term build and this kind of furthered that I thought with the with the little statue and the two halves and I enjoy Paul Bearer as a, as a manager and again get getting him to be more of that kind of character rather than the the mortician kind of character. I, I, didn't think, I didn't think it was funny with that little statue where he's saying he's got this burnt statue and he's saying this is proof that Kane's Kane survived the fire. <laughs> and that's exactly yeah. what you'd have as evidence if Kane hadn't survived the fire. <laughs> In there, yeah. 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 I, I will back you up, Andy, purely because it's, uh, it's related to Kane and I am the world's biggest yeah. Kane mark. Yeah. But I, I also I also really do think even though what he was spewing was kind of on one level like nonsensical bollocks, yeah. Paul Bearer is one of the most underappreciated uh, and possibly underrated. I'll have to I'll have to ask Mags about the definitions because that's that's something he gets his, uh, his okay. bollocks in and not over. But I just think Paul Bearer is underappreciated and underrated as both a manager and a promo. Yeah, um, but when he when he's tailing off and he's he's saying you know you don't push don't push me don't push me it's like you don't want to see Kane you don't want to see him at all I'm yeah. the last one to see Kane don't make me bring him in 
he was like, and he was sort of veering on that edge of madness and that edge of frenzy. Yeah, yeah, he was amazing, it was fantastic. We did, we did, we did an episode on Bobby Heenan, and we spoke a lot there about AWA that kind of time period. And Percy Pringle in that era was a really good, really annoying kind of Heenan-esque manager. So he was getting to do that a bit more of that at this period for a short time anyway, when he was managing Vader and Kane and, and Mankind. He was getting to be more of that Percy Pringle character rather than the, the traditional Paul Bearer character. So. I'd actually forgotten that he, was, uh, that he was managing Vader for a while. Because in my <laughs> head, whenever I see... Well, one of the first times I recall is... Because, like I say, when I was, this year I was, I was a kid, basically... I only remember Vader facing off with Kane and Kane beating him and Vader giving that promo where he's saying, look at me, I'm too big. I'm just <laughs> yeah, a big fat yeah. piece of shit. Yeah, and, like, yeah. and basically that's because that's like in my brain. I was like, ooh, yeah. ooh, an adult said a swear word, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I've, I've heard shit said on TV and it was it really stood out. But yeah, yeah I'm just, I, it, I wasn't going to bring up the Bearer promo actually, but... I'm, uh, I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling the uh, the height of McCain fandom after he went after I watched him uh, go, uh, his induction into the Hall of Fame and I, I became emotionally compromised. So yeah, I'd go along with that. Shit on my dreams, Rob. I, I can't take it away from you, Dan. I know I know how much it means to you. I think we have to reach consensus with this. <laughs> but I think the podcast would end. However, <laughs> no, 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 honest, honest to God, honest to God, give, give me your, give me your full thoughts on it. I, uh, and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm quite happy for this to be our last episode. <laughs> and I think one of, one of the great things I thought about this show was there was a lot of storylines going forward from it. You had the possibility of Ken, as much as we have laughed about the um, Bariquas and um, DOA, you know, th- there was definitely something that was going to go forward from the fact that uh, the Barikas had destroyed one of the motorbikes or whatever it was. You know, we had the whole thing with the Hart Foundation and the Americans. We had the whole thing with Dude Love. There was just so many storylines that were, you know, going forward from this. And, and this was one. And it wasn't even sort of a reveal. And as you say, it was that whole thing, you, you don't want me to reveal. It's, it's sort of baiting the audience. We've spoken before about how hard they had to work for ratings in this era because WCW were doing so well. But you don't get stuff like this in the modern products. And no. as people say that AEW is clever long-term storytelling, you don't yeah. get stuff like this in AEW. No, no. Again, now there isn't the... I don't think... I think... WWE suffers from a just a a lack of effort to be honest. I mean, they don't need, but that's, they don't need to put any effort in, do they? Really, they're not really required. They've already got contracts, already signed up for TV deals. I think it's got worse in the kind of current era because it's almost like, well, we're putting out a show every week. What more do you want? You know? Yeah. Like, I think there's, as well, there's some on to watch. With, yeah. with the Attitude Era, you kind of reached a point. It, it was kind of where things were sort of in perfect balance. Back in the 80s and the early 90s, Kayfabe was sort of pretty was pretty intact. You had a small segment of people, you know, knowing like wanting to know the ins and outs. Then through the 90s, you had this shift to this more reality-based and more people were getting sort of smart to the inner workings of things. 
but there was a balance between people being willing to suspend the disbelief and just be told a story. And and that was sort of coupled with how innovative the stories were on both Raw and Nitro. It was it was just a perfect storm of everything coming together in a very mainstream way. Like there's people now that argue that wrestling's mainstream because of the money they're making. And I just don't agree with it. Wrestling is profitable for WWE. WWE is not mainstream. It's a niche. And therefore, everything that isn't WWE is a niche within a niche. And it just it, it just baffles me, the whole thing. just Sorry, I'm, I'm tailing off a little bit. The, uh, no, no, no. The, the, the 10 percenters are getting to me. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, you're you, right, get, you, get, got, you get what I'm driving at. Yeah, we're going to yeah. WrestleMania now. And they've got the, so the celebrities they've got in at WrestleMania are... I mean, I, I'm not fully aware of, of, of Bad Bunny. I don't know what he... I, I know he's... he's quite a fairly successful recording artist in America and so, so that's fair enough but then the, the having the Logan Paul the YouTuber Frick. The only, being the only there reason know, the only reason I know he is is because he was he filmed I'm pretty sure it was him that filmed yeah. um, the body hanging in, in the yeah. forest in Japan and it's just yeah. like really that's that's the guy you're bringing in I know he's got a huge following but yeah. he's also a cunt but that's what they want though that's what they want any 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 hint of any kind of even vaguely mainstream attention, then they'll you know they'll welcome them with open arms. So but, for them to say it's made, but that's not really mainstream, is it? That's but that is as mainstream as they're going to get, unfortunately, because that's why AEW doing stuff with Shaq and Mike Tyson, and you think that's we don't again, again I don't want to get <laughs> I don't want to turn into a AEW rant because you know, but but that's what you didn't want from AEW, but. You want AEW to be different, but if they want to compete, which they evidently do want to compete with WWE, then they kind of have to do this tie-in stuff with people that are vaguely mainstream, rather than kind of. That's why I think that with the 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 ratings war with NXT didn't really help either side, right? Because I think it it completely ruined NXT in my opinion, and AEW were kind of hot shot and stuff and bringing these guys in that are going to just get a, a slight ratings bump every week or trying to do stuff which is just to get a, a ratings bump over NXT rather than focusing on what they probably maybe set out to do in the first place is slowly developing being more of a a sports based product rather than being showbiz having these but I don't think you can't you can't do the both I kind of think the two don't really go in hand if you want to be a major competitor WWE quickly you're going to need to get in these celebrities these people which you'd rather not have involved like tyson and shack and these sort of things you need that kind of side of stuff integrated if you want to be a competitor quickly thing is though people say that about aew and say about being sporting presentation the only reason it's gone down the sporting presentation route is because tony can put up the money and that's Tony Khan's preference yeah. for wrestling. That is nothing like All In was like. That's nothing no. like being the elite was all like in the build-up to AEW becoming a company. It was entirely gimmick-based. Yeah. It was embracing celebrities like Stephen Amell to come in. Yeah. The vision they had for AEW was 180 degrees away from what they presented now. And the problem is that when they bring in celebrities... They're doing it half-hearted because they're trying to stay in this sports-based presentation. Yeah, yeah. 
the being half pregnant, they needed to have gone completely the other way. Yeah. And, you know, built the show on, on what had got them the fame in the first place. And, and they didn't do that. So what you're saying, Rob, is there's a disparity in tone in the show where the visions of the people behind it don't quite match. And therefore, it's quite garbled on screen, which brings us conveniently back to 1995 Raw that we started covering on this very podcast. Yeah. So what you're saying is AEW is like 95 Raw in that they, they don't quite know what they want to be. AEW is oh, better than 95 Raw. We, we, we've sat through 95 Raw. <laughs> yeah, yeah this, is, I'll, true. I'll say, this is true. I'll say the same for NXT, though, because NXT was super popular and everybody loved NXT when it was seen as a alternative to mainstream WWE. So you'd have these guys, so, you know, people like, you'd have your mix of experienced indie guys coming in and then you'd have a, a sprinkling of development guys coming through the performance centre who they're making as their own sort of gimmick. Now that's kind of, obviously once it becomes his own thing and it becomes a ratings driven programme, then that kind of has to change. And then like the last year, what have they done? They've recycled so many fucking old WCW gimmicks. Halloween Havoc and In Your House. And that's like, that's the, probably the, the opposite of what it was originally. Originally it was his own thing. It was different to WWF, WWE even. And now it is now it's under the WWE umbrella. I mean, it always was, but once it becomes a ratings-driven program, it's going to be more under the WWE umbrella. And now it's a completely watered-down version of what it was in the first place. Even though, I mean, the people in it haven't really changed that much. It's still a mix of experienced indie guys and developmental people. But it just feels like it's just it's just not the same. No. So, but anyway, anyway. What, what were we talking about? <laughs> well, Paul we, Bearer. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's five, and that's the important thing. So as my old physics teacher used to say, uh, this appears to have turned into a far drink problem. So what's everyone drinking now? I want Kingfisher now. I've, I've, I've moved up from cider, uh, down from cider. It's uh, India's premium lager, Kingfisher. Uh, I, I don't mind a Kingfisher. I've got. I actually do have a story about Kingfisher. I don't think I've even ever told Rob. After a, a night out at uni, I was making my way home um, because I just got bored of being in uh, whatever shitty nightclub I was in. And uh, on the way home, the only place that I could see that was still open was uh, an Indian restaurant. So, well, I thought they were open. It turns out they were just closing. Uh, but I just like so I just walked in. And they were just like, no, we're closed, we're closed. And I was like, no, it's fine. I just want to, I'm just wondering if you'd sell me some beer. Like, I just want, like, and like, well, what do you want? Like, I'm just like, can you give us, like, six bottles of Kingfisher? Whatever, you know, whatever. And they was like, yeah, fine. And they charged me, and this was in 2007. They charged me 20 quid for it, but I quite happily toddled home with six, bo- six bottles of Kingfisher that I then didn't drink for a week. Uh, well. Absolute <laughs> fucking idiot. Uh, it's not as bad as that time I went to uh, the toilet on Leeds train station and they said they had to buy a drink and it was nine quid. What? You know, because there used to be that really uh, tatty pub, but then they chopped it in half and half of it's like a M&S food and the other's a swanky pub. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, bring nice. back the tatty pub. But, um, anyway, on the subject of beer, I uh, I got through the uh, the Tiny Rebel Double 99, the, uh, the chocolate flake soft serve, Imperial Stout was very nice. Uh, explains why I've been uh, a little bit uh, nonsensical in, <laughs> in part of this recording. I'm now drinking the uh, the Cold Stone Cream Austin. 
uh, which I'm not completely enamoured with, to be honest, but it's not the worst thing I've ever drank. And my, I've got another one lined up, which is another one from Top Rope, and it's called a Shitty Neck Tattoo. Oh, sorry, no, American Nightmare. <laughs> which is uh, a 4.5% stout, so we'll, uh, it's, uh, it's promising a lot, and we'll see if it delivers. I've gone for another Steve-inspired beer. I was uh, rooting through my fridge to see if there's any links, and I found one called The North, and I know his love for Ethan Page. So, <laughs> yeah. It's by Lakeland Brewery. Uh, the best thing about it is it's made from 100% renewable energy. The worst thing about it is its taste. It's not great, but um, <laughs> it's environmentally friendly. <laughs> and it's a 4.9% amber ale. So I'm blaming Steve for that. Mm. <laughs> I'll pass um, it on. Yeah. Yeah. It's all his fault. He'll it, yeah. say it's not an alcohol. He's probably right. Probably yeah. need to whiskey it on up. So now it's time for the advert section of the show. So we'll look at the adverts that were run during this episode of Monday Night Raw. So as we said before, there was the advert for Pedigree Chum for the Shamrock Bulldog um, match. There was a match sponsored by Wrigley's Big Red Cinnamon Gum. Which just sounds fucking horrendous. <laughs> I, I used to work with an American and she'd had some sent over and it, it's not great. No, who wants gum that tastes like cinnamon? You, you're chewing gum, you're, you've got various flavours of mint or possibly, if you're some form of masochist, juicy fruit. I, I was so gutted when I found out those Starburst juicy fruits had stopped being made in 2010 last week. <laughs> I'd have definitely gone and bought some. But Yeah, we've got um, Summer Slam is presented by Stridex. Again, okay. the WWE hotline, so... For all that they uh, took the piss out of Scheme Gene, they're as bad as uh, WCW. Yeah, it was. As Sid wrestled his last match, that was the uh, that was the the hotline gossip. I don't know whether he was. I, I'd imagine he'd gone by this point, Sid. I don't know, but that was the that was the rumor on the on the on the hotline. As Psycho Sid wrestled his final match. Well, obviously not, but for WWE, he might have done. Well, this show was in July, wasn't it? So uh, that sounds like softball season to me. So mm. it was probably uh, yeah. quite engaged yeah. at this point. Yeah. Then we got um, the advert for the Discovery Zone Million Dollar Challenge. And they'd given us some clues through the night. And the fourth clue was a guy in a swimming pool. And it's of luxury. And the fourth clue was spelled out the key to a life of luxury. So... Who knows? They said that if you send this answer in to P.O. Box 1429 Carmel, Indiana, 4603, and you send that in before the 28th of June, you can have a chance to win. And they didn't specify which year. (laughs) (laughs) Some poor fucker's going to get a letter from Rob. (laughs) I I, I actually send it in. I think we've got as good a chance as anyone. Yeah. If it was, if it was the 25th of June, this came out in July, didn't it, this episode? So, um, yeah. That, which year? No, it didn't say which year, so, no. Yeah. Well, when they did the little indent where it was like this, the, when it was the end of the first half and the beginning of the second half, my notes were second half coming up, I put, they had a picture of Sable 
and uh, I, put, I, put, I put boobs, a million pounds, and HBK. That was what was coming up in the second half, basically, because it was. <laughs> I thought it was being sold. Well, they had Sable stood there, and she's trying to sort of promote it. And there's Mark Marrow looking quite pissed off in the background, further in yeah. the storyline. And then yeah. there's a real picture of Sonny. And as we've said on previous episodes, we quite like Sonny in this era, but um, they don't seem to be using her. So, Lord only knows why. There was a there was a there was a hidden reference to Sonny in one of the uh, one of the fan signs, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah. That yeah, yeah. sign of the night. That might yeah. be getting my sign of the night, that one. <laughs> <laughs> and then we can move on to ads uh, that we've had for the show. So, um, uh, as you said previously, we got into the top 30. So, thank you, everyone, who listened to that for uh, episode three. Jesse from Jay Carlin Arts of Jesse's Corner on YouTube said we were quite good and seemed quite surprised at, uh, at that. So... <laughs> And if that's a sideways compliment, but we'll take it. That, that, yeah. is, that, is li- that is literally all I ever want to be told that I'm surprisingly good at anything. Yeah, Jesse, she she's been with. Well, she uh, has been listening to us since the start, which is incredible, to be honest. But she noted earlier on that I think I think it was one of our early episodes when we were recording in Steve's flat that you could hear somebody weeing during the episode. Not in the background, basically. So I was in the toilet in C's flat, pissing and pulling the flush, and it was all you could all you could hear it. So I wandered off to like going for a wee. You could hear the stream of urine hitting the bowl, and then the toilet flushing, and me coming back. So she she appreciates the finer things in life, Jesse. So she does. Maybe we should in our toilet visits out. Maybe should (laughs) do Yeah. I'm going to make a point of farting in every episode now. Yeah, yeah. And then, is it a fart? Is it Dan's chair creaking? Who knows? No. Oh, you'll know. Smell <laughs> uh, it from here. <laughs> so, Mags and Chris Bellis of uh, Real Chris Bellis um, said they were both impressed with Beth's Beer of the Week, which um, she'd done for Carlsberg Export in the week that uh, it aired. So, uh, again, another sideways compliment. It's not about the show. about... <laughs> Someone who must be new to Twitter, never heard of them before, Bang Bang Podcast, said that putting Isaac Yankum in the main event uh, would put butts on seats. Mm. Well, you know, that's what I heard. (laughs) But I enjoyed that episode. Did you watch along while we were talking about it? No, God, no, no. I was taking the kids to school. But um, actually, it wasn't. It was Easter Easter week, so no, I don't know what I was doing. I think I was probably... Emptying the bins or something like that while I was listening. I like to listen while I'm doing menial tasks, you know, just to kind of liven it up a bit. But um, I think yeah, that was a weird, a weird time period of Bret Hart, Jerry Lawler, Isaac Yankum. Yeah, but obviously I'm not going to say anything against Isaac Yankum because, you know. You better fucking not. <laughs> 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 I think the crowd from that episode of Raw wished they were uh, emptying the bins or taking the kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't Isaac or Brett's fault. It was a long night. They were tired. It wasn't their fault. We're going. We're now right now. We're back to fucking Snitsky. No, <laughs> I think you guys, you guys did that episode. The listening to you guys talk about that episode was much more entertaining than watching that episode. Because uh, that was a pretty rough time period, so well done. Oh, you that's guys. brilliant. This is recorded as well, so you can't <laughs> you can't take that back. I got my fingers yeah. crossed, but you know, 
in, in eight weeks, we'll shout out that compliment. <laughs> Obviously, we mentioned at the top of the show that uh, Matty had created those uh, top trump cards. Uh, that's uh, Guru of Mattitude. At that, Steve Smith said the show was really good, and he laughed out loud at uh, when we were talking about the nutty kick from the uh, All Right Mate uh, Daya. <laughs> Match. And we got a five-star review from Graham Burley, who said we must listen. So, Thank you very much, Graham. So is, is that what you've called yourself on Apple Podcasts, Dan? Is that your uh, alter ego? Uh, shit rumble. <laughs> yeah. I'm making no, a list of all these names. It's, uh, yeah. it, that, that is my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Andy's called Graham. Who's another Andy? Not the Andy we have on today. Right, so it's now time for the award section of the show. So what would you give match of the night to Andy? I'm just, I'm just consulting my notes. I've written it down somewhere. Well, I, this is not going to go down well with Dan, but I'm going to have the match of the night as the flag match. <sighs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> well... Sorry, allow, yeah. me, allow me to allow me to do an impression of Steve and just make random noises into the microphone <laughs> while you're trying to talk. <laughs> no, go on. You're, you're entitled to your wrong opinions. Thank you very much. Thanks. I love the little thing as well in the build-up to the match where they were saying about, you know, in the 19th century, because of perceived threat of invasion from America, they'd built a fort uh, yeah. in Halifax, Scotia, and then it just pans from the fort and the stadium's right next door. Yeah, uh, and I thought I thought that was great, but yeah, and it's full of it's full of mental Canadians as well. We're like rabid, yeah. uh, and to be fair, we didn't know when Austin came out to so play the national anthem. And Austin comes out. I think Austin in this time period looks like physically, he looks incredible. Obviously, we're only a few weeks away from him sustaining that neck injury, and he was probably never the same after that. This is kind of peak, and he's still at that. He's again similar to Shawn Michaels earlier on. Him playing to this crowd is kind of peak Austin because in the US he's still being the same character, but he's being cheered. But in Canada, he's still being the same character and being booed. And he was the only guy he got a few kind of there's a few Austin signs as well in the crowd, even like in a rabid Canadian crowd. And he's been feuding against Bret Hart for fucking months. There's still a few Suncourt Steve Austin signs in the crowd, which just proves that how over he was. But just him being that kind of character in this atmosphere was great, I thought. Yeah. And we didn't know who the partners were going to be. It wasn't, it was never when Dude Love came out, it was a surprise. And then obviously Undertaker came out later on. So, yeah, but Dude Love was kind of that um, kid that was hanging around that he didn't want to play yeah. out with, but his mum had forced him to, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, but then leading dude, up to it, it was dude like... Dude Love was Billy the Limpet. Yeah, but leading up to it, it was like, well, it was going to be Shawn Michaels and Austin. That was going to be the match. But then when Shawn Michaels got taken out, it was, well, who's going to be Austin's partners? So Dan's not convinced, I can see it, but yeah. Go on, Dan. Well, it's because the best match was Vader Shamrock. Yeah. Because it was two dudes just knocking fuck out of each other. But again, that to be fair, it was like taking all my drunken knobheadness out of it. Um, I can see why I'd give it to the flag match. It, it was the star power was there. The crowd were rabid. There was a, there was a lot going on. Owen was like just absolutely workhorsing his way through it. Yeah. So I, I do get it. Um, but Vader Shamrock for me just it's it's if I'm gonna like 
I class sort of in ring in like sort of middle ground on my rankings. But if I'm going to be enthralled by a wrestling match, it's two people who legitimately look like they're trying to knock the fuck out of each other. Um, for point of reference, I watched. Uh, I mentioned it earlier to to Rob. I was watching uh, Bloodsport Six, and that is like it, it's wrestling, but it's more MMA with elements of wrestling into it. And I just find it fantastic. It's a perfect balance. So Shamrock being the legitimate hard bastard that he is, and Vader being the legitimate hard bastard that he is, just trying to knock lumps out of each other just absolutely works for me. Yeah. yeah. I felt a tinge of sadness in that watching that flag match. And earlier on, when he's the, the Heart Foundation, the promo, you looked at the, the kind of, we're only a few months before Brett leaves to mm. go to WCW. If he had stayed on, the matches he would have had with Austin, The Rock, Triple H going forwards and similar. If you look at that, that the Heart Foundation by well, two years down the line, they're all gone by one way or the other. Obviously, Brett, mm-hmm. Davy Boy, Anvil, Pillman, well, Pillman and Owen have passed away. The rest of the guys are all gone to WCW. So, yeah, if you can imagine, there was still that kind of friction between Austin and Bret Hart. So the matches Bret could have had if he had stayed, you know. And imagine if Bret had continued the, the anti-McMahon trajectory. Mm. So would have had Austin rising up, Bret yeah. rising up in, in that sort of, they both hate the establishment, but they also hate each other. Yeah. That could have been something absolutely magical. Yeah. And Michael's being a dick. And then you've got Austin, and then you've got, Undertaker, Kane, and you've got there's so much stuff. It's, and again, obviously, the the Bret Hart WCW move didn't work out for anyone's mm. benefit in the long run. But it's a shame. And, and like you said earlier on, what you know, Owen in those matches are incredible. You know, no matter the taxing partners he he carried in theory, because Davy Boy's good, but Owen's doing the work. Obviously, when he tagged with Yokozuna. Owen's doing the work and similar to Brett the matches Owen could have had with Austin The Rock even moving forwards to people like Angle and I mean yeah it's a shame it is it is so who would you give MVP of the night to Andy well I was kind of torn between I'd probably go I, I don't know it's a tough one I, I kind of 50-50 I thought Brett was good for the lead in the kind of promo stuff. But from a storyline point of view, I quite like the way Vince is kind of playing it in this time is it's quite good because he's still kind of playing the, I'm the commentator, I'm the, I'm kind of like the, by this point, we I think it's widely acknowledged that he's in charge as well. So that, the confrontation with him and Brett where he's actually go to Brett and he's, and then when later on, when during the, uh, the match we haven't mentioned yet, the Goldust uh, Farouk match where Vince gets word that like something's gone on afterwards and he has to go to the back room and, you know, see what's going on. But I mean, I'd probably go for, uh, I think Brett would be my MVP for the night. Yeah. I went, well, I was torn as well because um, 
again in a, in another match that we haven't mentioned, there was a uh, a triple threat tag team match. The, the Godwins, New Blackjacks, and Headbangers. And I looked at that on paper and thought that was going to be absolute dog shit, but it turned out it was actually quite entertaining dog shit. Um, so I was I was tempted to I was tempted to give a six way tie to it just for exceeding expectations, but I've actually gone for British Bulldog. But it's under the proviso that he actually sought out the fan that had made that Heart Foundation pissing on the <laughs> yeah. American flag sign and decided to bring it to the ring. So I'm giving it to Bulldog for carrying that sign to the ring. That's fair enough. In in terms of that triple threat tag team match, it, it was so disappointing seeing Barry Windeman I always think of Barry Windham when I see him in WWF I think of you know when you've when you've worked with somebody and they they get a new job and it's it's a worse job and you kind of meet them and you you see them in work so like and they they go work in I don't know like a supermarket somewhere and they were like really talented and like and you, you kind of you meet them and you think like oh well you know, it's nice to see you kind of got a job, and you don't want to kind of be too disparaging towards them because they're getting paid and they're they're obviously doing okay. But you kind of think like, what a what a waste! It is, that was his entire all of his WWF runs basically, all the way, apart from his very first one where he looked like a million dollars. But he just he just it's like when he steps in the WWF ring, he becomes a different person. It's bizarre, isn't it? I'd give my uh, MVP of the night to Bret Hart. I think he, yeah, I mean, I mean, it was to a certain extent, it was the Bret Hart drinking game. He was uh, out that much. It was, uh, yes, my MVP in uh, Impact Wrestling. But no, and, and when he slapped uh, Vince McMahon, I thought that was great. And obviously, he was a hometown hero, so it has to go with him. So, Andy, who would you give the Rene Goulet Award for Outstanding Haircut of the Night to? Well, again, I'm, I'm torn. I want to say, I mean, Paul Bearer's ginger hair was was notable, but I'm probably going to go for Brian Walsh. I enjoy Brian Walsh's because Brian Walsh a looks and sounds and has a haircut of a a Coronation Street character from the eighties. Someone who worked in he's a mate, a mate of Kevin Webster's basically who worked in the garage, but yeah, it was nice. It was I, I enjoyed that. I mean, it's 1997, that's the thing. It's I don't think haircuts like that were acceptable in... Well, not acceptable. They weren't really kind of, you know, the norm in 1997. But, yeah, that's what would be my Randy Goulet haircut tonight, Brian Walsh. And we've seen a couple of decent performances from Brian Walsh as we've been reviewing these episodes. He, okay. He's a decent jobber. He had a match against uh, John Pierre Lafitte in one of the earlier episodes, um, which was spoiled by Bret Hart uh, phoning in from the set of Lonesome Dove. <laughs> I, I, I'd completely forgotten that was Brian Walsh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd looked him up and tried to find some dirt on him, and there was nothing. Oh, there's no dirt on Brian Walsh. No, he's, he's, he's a ghost. He's nowhere. I think, he's I think clean he as a whistle. He was a spy. Mm, maybe. I do worry with the delay that we have on podcasts that anything positive we say about a wrestler may get uh, yeah. found out by uh, posterity. <laughs> uh, who would you give the award to, Dan? I've gone for Vader because he had the very subtle double mohawk under his mask. It's like he wanted the hairstyle, but he also wanted to wear the mask, so he found a decent compromise. 
a compromise. So he's just got the two strips of hair under his mask, and that'll do him. He knows he's got it, and he doesn't have to be ostentatious about it. Right, that. I am going to go, and only because it's probably the last chance we'll ever have. And, you know, we see him in that night is wrestling podcast when we do the pay-per-view reviews with uh, Mags and James, uh, with wax lyrical about him in the episodes that we've seen him so far. The René Goulet Award has to finally go to René Goulet. (laughs) I didn't spot him in this one, but yeah. He, he was um, carrying Shawn Michaels um, to the back when he had his um, knee injury. Yeah, I was I was really annoyed Rene Goulet wasn't there in the uh, the Brett and Vince uh, sort of pull apart. Yeah, it was Patterson and Briscoe, wasn't it? Imagine how much better that had been if it had, instead of Patterson and Briscoe, it had been Patterson, Briscoe, and Goulet. It would have bumped my entire rating of this show up at least one notch. It would definitely. So new award that we just brought in last week. Um, sign of the night. What would you give that to, Andy? Well, I'm not sure if he spotted it, but in the first match, there was a sign that said, Undertaker is a necrophiliac. Did you see that? Yes, I saw yeah. that one. <laughs> <laughs> Undertaker obviously, is a necrophile. They got him confused with his brother, obviously. but they, uh... Triple H. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. But yeah, that that and there was a few other candidates. Which, well, I'll see what you guys have said, but... There's a few other on my list, but that was the one which caught my eye immediately. But, uh, yeah. I think Steve was at this show because I saw a sign that said, I'm so drunk. (laughs) 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 I'm going to jump in here before you, Dan. um, Go for it. Because I think you're going to steal my thunder. And I am going to go for the second week in a row with a Sunny-related sign. And it's too much Sunny will make you go blind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all that, yeah. <laughs> uh, masturbation, isn't it? It's not as good as last week with Show Me the Sunny. I thought that Jerry Maguire tie-in was uh, perfect. <laughs> that was very good. That was very good. There were a couple of other good ones. Um, there, was, uh, there was just a giant Nitro Sucks banner. Mm. Um, somebody had a sign that read Shamrock fears my dad <laughs> Yeah I don't know who that person's dad is But fair enough There was a really confusing one That just said Austin wears short shorts Yeah Fine Okay It's a statement of fact If, if he does he does Why not Yeah But I think I'm going to go with The sign that simply read Bret Hart rocks my cock Oh, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Although, if we find out that one of Les Kelly's children was in the audience for this episode, are you going to go with the Shamrock Fears My Dad? Yes, sign? absolutely. Um, funny, actually, funny you mentioned Les Kelly. I'm watching um, the first night of WrestleMania uh, tomorrow as we record with a couple of lads. We'd, we'd just like do voice chat over Discord, but we um, you can like broadcast uh, YouTube links and stuff like that. I'm sending over a bunch of Les Kelly stuff. For us to oh, watch before Mania starts. So I, I am spreading the word on the gospel of Kellett. Did you see Kyle O'Reilly did the uh, Les Kellett Lariat, um, which people have been calling the Dean Ambrose Lariat uh, for years uh, on NXT last night? No, because I was so damn tired by the end of that. <laughs> I was like, the the, uh, the main event, uh, sorry, not the main event, the, the title match finished. And I was like, right, lads, I'll uh, I'll catch you on, uh, on Saturday. And they're like, there's another match. I'm like, oh, fuck, there is. <laughs> I just want to go to bed, but yeah, sorry. Uh, going back to it, it's the uh, the Bret Hart rocks my cock. 
Fantastic. There was so, a Lin- Linda McMahon is hot sign as well. But then is, is Linda been on screen at any point in this by ninety seven? I don't think she had at that point. No, no, so I did see a sign uh, for the British audience saying uh, Shawn Michaels is the sixth Spice Girl. Yeah, I saw that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I need to start paying more attention to this shit because yeah. I just missed all of that. <laughs> yeah. Mm. No, there were some brilliant signs in uh, this era. And that's what they need to do with the Thunderdome, get people with signs. No, you know, um, just, do you know, remember in like the old um, WWF, WWE games where you could create a wrestler and then choose what signs people had in the audience? Just, just make it like dozens and dozens and dozens of signs and just have people use that instead of the faces. So you can press a button and rather than have your face there, just have the sign. So we've got, you know, Ricochet versus Big E and um, they've got Undertaker as a necrophiliac. On. Yeah, well, I mean... Yeah. 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 That'd make it so much better. Yeah. Yeah. So, Andy, what's your overall thoughts on the show and your rating out of 10? I give this a probably a, a seven out of ten. I say it was a good show, good crowd. I mean, the crowd probably upped it from a a five. Lots of, I mean, every match really has got some stars in it. You know, start with Vader, then you you know you got good promos, you got the tag match. There. So yeah, there's yeah seven seven out of ten. I'd say cool. Uh, I think you're going to have a different opinion, Dan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've gone through a lot of stuff that that I sort of liked about the show. Um, The crowd's energy were fantastic. Some of the story elements surrounding the Hart Foundation, Sean, Vince, Austin Foley and whatnot, I can't really fault. The actual matches that occurred while while we often say that the least important important part of the wrestling is the wrestling, uh, the the matches on this show could, apart from Vader Shamrock, uh, could well be the worst that we've some of the worst that we've seen, because um, obviously we didn't talk about any, uh, apart from apart from the two obvious ones. The so just going through my notes here, the main event had star power, but for me just didn't. Just didn't land, even though I uh, I conceded to have it on the uh, on the top five, but for uh, for very different reasons. You guys enjoyed it. I thought it was utter wank. Um, <laughs> the Paul Bearer promo was good. The Dude Love recap was good, but just the whole thing felt so dist- it felt like it was shooting from point to point so very quickly. And previously, we praised. The, uh, the the Russo Corner episode, the low episode, for being able to tie in so many storylines and not make it a clusterfuck. This felt like a clusterfuck. So I'll spare you the usual massive rundown because, quite frankly, I'm drunk and I don't think I'll be able to articulate it very well. So the matches, I'd give basically four out of ten. The promos were half decent. The, uh, the production, so it gets extra points for the Foley vignette. The Summer Slam ads were good. I really liked the opening and the pyro were decent, so the, the actual sort of production values around the show were decent. The storyline aspects, while there was a lot and it did advance, it was so garbled that I just it just sort of lost my interest. And I can't really fault the fan response because it's probably the best we've had. So the fan response I'd probably put up at about a 9, a 9 out of 10. 
But for me, it averages out, and I'm I'm going to do that thing that you don't like because I've had a few, and it's it's a five point five. That's fine. I'm using decimals as well, so yeah, Dec- decimals, decimals. You're entitled to your wrong opinions, Dan. Um, <laughs> I and as we said, as we said last week, I didn't, you know, forget it's a wrestling show. This was great television. They knew that WCW wasn't on, and the the packages that they created were fantastic. They really were, you know, with the whole Brett heel face thing, even the Bariquas thing, the dude love thing, the hype that they had for the main event. In a way, it felt it felt like a boxing card where you're building up to that one special thing and the undercard doesn't really matter that much. Although, you know, I I thought this was great. I'm giving it a 7.5, which is jointly the highest rating I've given any of the shows. I've, you know, and I watched this and then I sat down and watched Raw and AEW for this week and it blows both shows out of the water. No comparison. Yeah, but I've had shits that are better than that. Than <laughs> the weekly TVs that go on at the minute. I've had shits that have entertained me more than, the, <laughs> than some weekly TVs on today. Now, I, I, I do take a point, and if I'm being truly honest, um, when we've been talking about stuff, um, I think it's another situation where I was in a pretty bad mood when I was watching this anyway. Um, and as we've talked about stuff, and I've, I've taken your guys' um, opinions on board, have maybe been a bit harsh in in some of my criticisms, but I'm going to stick to my guns with it. If I'd have watched it on a on a better day, maybe I might have uh, I might have rated it higher. But as it is, I'm uh, I'm sticking to my grumpy bastard nature. The f- the thing that's really going to make you realise that you've strayed from the pack is that the community vote on Cage Match gave this six point eight eight. So even Cage Match thinks this was a good show, and and they tend to be very in-ring focused rather than gimmick focused so i'm glad those people enjoyed it it's just everyone but you <laughs> <laughs> this has no, come like to be the best i've watched and i've wrestling i've watched for for a while and i think like you said it, it did a, it was what we i think it was two weeks away from SummerSlam. so to start off they sold like the first, well, after the Vader match, the Hartford Nation promo sold Bulldog, Shamrock, Austin, Undertaker, uh, Brett Undertaker, Austin, Owen. So it's kind of doing that kind of thing as well of selling an upcoming pay-per-view as well. But I, I do take Dan's point. If you look at it, if you strip it down to a bare bones, like we said earlier about our preferences, from an in-ring point of view, it was, it was, it wasn't, Nothing particularly special. But again, the best in-ring match was probably the, you know, if you strap it down to Bass Tax, that best in-ring match was that first match, was the Vader Shamrock. But if you take everything else into account, like we do, like you guys do, the last match was the best because it has the crowd reaction, it has the promos leading up to it, it has everything else. So, but as we all class, uh, in-ring is pretty low down <laughs> then you know Dan's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, to be to be fair, I rate in ring the highest out of all of us. I don't necessarily agree with the ratings I gave at the time. But, no. uh, <laughs> Whatever like you said, get then, like, so, yeah. like, like 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 I say though, I'm I'm I am willing to admit that at the time the sort of the frame of mind I was in when I was actually watching this 
may have uh, may have drastically affected uh, how I viewed it. Yeah, and for me, it brought back memories of me watching this from the first time as a drunk teenager, thinking yeah. this is the dog bollocks, basically. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I fucked up because um, I've had quite a busy week with the uh, work bits and various other, you know, like sort of family commitments. So I had to sort of juggle stuff around to shoehorn this in, uh, to, to like watch this and make sure I had plenty of time to, to yeah, take yeah. notes and whatnot, which. Uh, which just sort of made me think, oh, I've, I've fucked this right up, and and I'm, I've got to watch this tonight, and I was supposed to be doing this, and it yeah. just there's a, there's a part of my brain that I'm just kind of annoyed at myself for <laughs> being a disorganised wanker. Just go back and watch that Truth Commission promo again, just in case, you know. <laughs> no. <laughs> that, that's no. Yeah, wrestling's a buffet. Everyone likes different things. Of course, yeah. Uh, and and you know this show clearly won't be for everyone. If if you're a a dyed in the wool fan of technic the art of technical wrestling, this show isn't for you. But if you're a fan of television, it is. And yeah. and that you know that that I will that... I will say though I rate this show higher than I rate um, uh, the uh, the American Nightmare stout that I'm drinking. That's that's fair enough. That's fair yeah. enough. American Nightmare has. Uh, has made a lot of promises. It's looked very flashy, and uh, the can art's nice, and it's just left me um, just just a bit disappointed. Yeah, it's it's like this North Amber beer. But the only thing it's got going for it was uh, environmentally made. So this is going to be the last episode that uh, we review for Jim Carnets. He's going to uh, be shuffled out of creative, and then we're just going to get Vince Russo on his own as the head of creative, and. The straw that breaks the camel's back, and you know that this has come from independent third party Bruce Pritchard, is that every single time they wanted to debut someone new, Jim Cornette was adamant that they should come out of a box under the logic that anyone that comes out of a box is over. And it eventually comes to the point that Vince McMahon just snaps and kicks him out of creative because he can't deal with him. And it's quite ironic that Terry Funk, which you'll probably cover in your next episode of Bang Bang Podcast, which will be eight weeks in the archives. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're, probably, we're probably doing an episode on Jim Cornette by the time this comes out, but yeah. <laughs> that, that Terry Funk is going to debut by coming out of a box, and Jim Cornette has left creative by that point. But Vince McMahon insists that when Terry Funk comes in, he has to come out of a box just to piss off Jim Cornette, because once he's got him out of creative, he yeah. wants to use what Jim Cornette had spent his entire time in creative trying to get someone to do. Yeah. It's like a mark of the man, basically. That is, is yeah. Yeah. But at least he had a chainsaw. And at least yeah. it was a box and not an egg. I, I yeah. listened to um, Jim Cornette's opinion on it, and they said that... Um, you know that uh, he'd been talking to Kevin Dunn about it and saying that they were going to they were going to brand him Chainsaw Charlie and he's saying everyone's going to know he's Terry Funk and he debuts in New York the you know smartest crowd you're ever going to get and they put a stocking over his head and he comes out of this box and the entire crowd are chanting Terry Terry and yeah. Kevin Dunn no it's a completely different audience they, they don't <laughs> watch <laughs> yeah well Terry Funk said that he, he was like I don't care basically. I, I could be called something worse and he, he wrestled we'll, we'll talk about this on our next episode which comes which came out about three months ago 
<laughs> but he was like, he, I think he wrestled Leatherface in Japan, and he was like, I don't know who. I think, I think Funk came up with the idea of Chainsaw Charlie. He's like, they might as well call me that as anything else. Whatever else they're going to come up with is going to be worse. So yeah, let them do that. If they want to put me under a, a you know, a pair of tights and a and a chainsaw, then let them do it because. You know, it's not going to be in my name. It's going to be in in a different name. So I'll, I'll do it. I'll go for it. So, but he knows it's going to be over because it's coming out of a box. And he's Terry he's Funk, so he's going to be yeah, yeah. And he's coming out of a box, yeah. And it's incredible to think again on that episode we we spoke about him being NWA champion twenty five years previous to this, but. Yeah, and if you if you want to listen to that episode of Bang Bang Podcast, just uh, <laughs> go to uh, go to the yeah. archives, uh, yeah. <laughs> search, go to the vintage yeah. section. Yeah, get to the vintage. <laughs> I mean, we may not even be in existence by the time this comes out, but if we still are, if we are still going, then yeah, go back and listen to the episode on Terry Funk. And if you can wait several weeks, we'll get to the point in WCW where Terry Funk's around, and he mm. won't be old. He'll be middle aged and crazy. So. Uh, that's going to be some great times. Yeah, wasn't he involved? I mean, I think when he was booking, involved in the booking of WCW was probably before the Monday Night Wars period. But he had a time where he was on the on the booking committee when there was probably seven or eight people involved in booking NWA. But that was probably late eighties, early nineties. So that's before you guys. Yeah, what started covering. One of the problems with WCW is they do have a committee, and we've spoken on previous episodes that there's often people in the room. So when Bill Watts is head of creative, he's got you know Bruce Pritchard and Vince Russo sat in the background, and yeah. they're probably not saying that much. They may be just taking notes or paying attention, sort of thing. But they're there. Whereas in WCW, they they have this sort of committee structure and. You've got the likes at different points of, you know, your Terry Taylors and your, your Disco Infernos and your Jeremy Borashes and that kind of thing, who at different points, we're not going to say they're in charge of creative because they weren't sort of, you know, the chair of that committee or the driving force. But certainly they had the fingers in the pie, if that makes sense. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's different with WCW, but... Yeah, it is. So, Andy, where can people find you? Oh, so I'm I'm personally at Bang Bang Podcast on Twitter. So and yeah, we're available on every podcast provider. So yeah, if if you if you want to go and check us out, then good luck. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. No, I, I really sorry. I'm just going to jump in. Listen to Bang Bang Podcast. Yeah, it is absolutely fantastic. It, it's. I just, it, it's like, it's just a, just completely descends into madness, and which is exactly what I like. It's two mates talking wrestling and just veering off into different subjects because, let's be fair, we, you know, all three of us on this podcast, we like a drink and it takes you in some random tangents and it's always really entertaining and that uh, I like my nickname. Yeah, good, good, good job, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that, Spanky. <laughs> Yeah, no worries. <laughs> so, thank you. Where do people find you? Uh, I'm at Dan Griffin21. You'll uh, find me on there licking Bang Bang podcast's ass uh, for when we get <laughs> trounced in the Monday night, uh, the Monday morning walls, and I need somewhere to go to. 
the podcast after. Yeah. Um, I'm usually just talking wrestling that's uh, that's at least six weeks behind. And I'm also on uh, the monthly pay-per-view reviews for that 90s wrestling podcast at 90s Wrestling Pod. Excellent. In terms of the podcasts, you can find me where you can find Dan. The show comes out on its own channel, so um, UTT podcast and also that 90s wrestling podcast channel every Monday. You can find me at UTT Rob. I'm more about mutuals than followers. More than happy to follow back if you follow me. So if you want to get involved in discussion about wrestling or the misfortunes of Huddersfield Town, then uh, please get involved. Or Minder. Always happy to talk about Minder. How can a man be so despised in one country, yet so revered, idolized, even worshipped in another? Is it blind patriotism? Is it blatant prejudice? Aren't they both one and the same? He's the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. And why cannot Americans just understand that? He rocks. He's telling the truth about Americans, and that's all I got to say, yeah. Never in the history of U.S.-Canadian relations has the fervor of nationalistic pride fueled our allegiances and divided our two countries. Canada is a country where we still take care of the sick and the old, where we still have health care. Canada isn't riddled with racial prejudice and hatred. This past weekend, Bret Hart issued a challenge, not to any one particular individual in the World Wrestling Federation, but rather to an entire nation. Heart Foundation, we will never, ever let down the Canadian fans. So bring on any three Americans you've got to what we call a flag match. Tonight in Halifax, Nova Scotia, where the beloved hearts will receive a hero's embrace, which three brave Americans will rise to defend their nation's pride in a hostile land. Tonight, tensions escalate, war is declared. Tonight, which flag will wave mildly when the battle is won?